0: You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. This is 88.1 FM, The Wireless. Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, the
1: world at five. What is your question? Well, Mother,
2: I'm um, I'm gay mm-hmm. and find it difficult to be uh, gay and Catholic. And um, I was just wondering if you have any suggestions of uh, what I should do.
3: Well, when a person
4: says, I am gay, which you just said, It's hard to understand what you mean. Do you mean you have the inclination? Well, you can certainly be a very wonderful Catholic and have the inclination. Now if you say you're actively gay, it's impossible. Why? Because to be actively gay is to commit grave sin. It is to go against the law
5: of God. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually 9 out of 10 Americans, that's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's
6: massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live.
0: 88.1 FM, the wireless international news.
6: Episodes at Now, TNT Radio News.
7: For TNT, this is James O'Neill. President Joe Biden is contemplating various response measures to a drone strike attributed to an Iran-backed terrorist group that resulted in the deaths of three U.S. Army reservists and injured 40 others in Jordan on January 28th. White House National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby confirmed that President Biden has convened with his National Security Advisors twice since the incident. However Kirby did not verify if a specific retaliatory action has been decided upon. Kirby emphasized the necessity of a response to the attack, stating it requires a response, make no mistake about that. He added that the president is considering a range of options and will determine the most appropriate response. Kirby stressed the need to halt such attacks. While the Biden administration consistently holds Iran accountable for the attack, Kirby noted that the investigation to identify the specific group responsible is still ongoing. He also mentioned that the administration is not seeking a full-scale war with Iran.
5: Secretary of State Antony Blinken. I think it's very important to note that this is an incredibly volatile time in the Middle East. Um, I would argue that we've not seen a situation as as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973.
7: UK Foreign Secretary David Cameron is contemplating official recognition of a Palestinian state by the British government. This consideration comes amid Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's stance that Israel must control the security from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean, effectively discounting the feasibility of an independent Palestinian state in Gaza and the West Bank. The United States and the United Kingdom have been urging Israel to adhere to a two-state solution aligning with the Oslo Accords established in 1993.
8: Terrorism being dismantled in Gaza, but you've also got to see a political perspective so that Palestinian people can see that there is a route to having a Palestinian state, to having a new future.
7: A Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court judge has ruled the former President Donald Trump will remain on the state's primary election ballot. This decision came after the State Ballot Law Commission previously dismissed a challenge against Trump's eligibility. The challenge was based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits individuals from holding federal office if they previously sworn to support the Constitution, but then participated in insurrection or rebellion. Supreme Judicial Court Justice Frank Gaziano, appointed by former Governor Charlie Baker, upheld the Commission's decision. In his ruling on Monday, Justice Gaziano stated that the challenge was premature since Trump has not yet been officially nominated as the GOP candidate. The challengers had filed an emergency petition with the state's high court on January 23rd seeking a ruling on Trump's eligibility or the commission's jurisdiction in this matter. Justice Gaziano's decision also acknowledges that the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear a related case from Colorado soon. This upcoming case involves Colorado state officials barring Trump from the primary ballot, and the Supreme Court's ruling could have implications on Trump's eligibility to hold office. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced on Monday that Belarus has effectively become a nuclear power. This statement follows the successful operation of Belarus's first nuclear power station, constructed by Rosatom, Russia's state atomic energy corporation. In November, Belarus's energy ministry authorized the commercial operation of the power station's second unit. The nuclear power plant, with a total generating capacity of 2,400 megawatts, is expected to meet up to 40% of Belarus's energy requirements. Putin described the establishment of the power plant as a significant advancement, highlighting that it led to the creation of an entirely new industry in Belarus. He emphasized that with this development, Belarus can be considered a nuclear power in terms of energy production. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thanks very much, James. Very
9: good morning, everybody. It's five past five. We'll be back in a minute with the forecast for the whole country, for New Zealand, from
5: top to tippy toe. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of ten Americans, that's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages.
6: That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live.
0: You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM,
9: The Wireless, The
0: World at Five
9: all righty
0: 88.1 fm the wireless weather
9: oh let's do some weather shall we yeah let's do some weather all right we've got uh let's look at the extremes first of all yeah, the extremes all right the first extreme is uh, taronga taronga's got 20.2 degrees today is that a bit loud digger is that a bit loud i it's a bit loud i'll turn it down there now anyway. is that better uh, that's much better, thanks very much. Uh, Tauranga, 20.2 degrees. The coldest place to be. It's as cold as Charity, as my mother used to say. 5.3 degrees in tiara now uh, Castle Point, windy again there, 50, n- 50 kilometres per hour. What's that? Knots. That's about 20 knots. Yep, 20 knots there. Castle Point And Gisborne, it's a wee bit wet there with 2 millimetres of rain. Temperatures right across the main centres there. Stewart Island has 10 degrees. Invercargill, good morning to you. This morning, 9 degrees in Invercargill. Dunedin has 13, along with Timaru. Uh, out of the Chatham's there 17 degrees Christchurch is on 15 Queenstown will be skiing there soon won't we dig Yes we could be too get your skis on, remember your father to say, get your skis on. Yes I do remember that, uh, 12 degrees, France Joseph on the west coast 13 degrees, 17 a bit warmer up there, a bit uh, a bit muggy this morning up in Westport with 17 degrees, Nelson's on 15 Blenheim is on 11. Now off to the wasp nest at the bottom of the North Island that's where all the, that, they call it the beehive but we call it the wasp nest there, we'll. All the vultures hang out. All the World Economic Forum vultures. Thirteen, uh, no, fifteen degrees this morning. Masterton is warmer than Wellington. You wouldn't believe it. John Ansell, he's, he told me, it's uh, he must be back in Masterton, As he is he? hot again. Must be. Uh, Napier at 17 degrees, Palmerston North 18 degrees there with a wonderful um, well we won't say um, and also Mount Egmont there just at the foot of Mount Egmont, they've got a thermometer there and it says 19 degrees, Taupo and Rotorua both on 19 and 18 degrees this morning 18 for Gisborne Taronga has 20 degrees, Hamilton on 15 this morning, a little bit cooler there and uh, Auckland's on 19 along with Whangarei and 20 up in in uh, Kaitaia. Now the short forecast for all New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight for Northland, Taranaki, Taupo including the Bay of Plenty mainly fine weather today. Isolated showers possible during the afternoon and evenings. And uh, for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, you've got a bit of cloudy weather, often cloudy. Showers clearing this evening. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Whanganui there, Wanganui, not, not Whanganui, Whanganui. Tauhapi in Wellington. Also for the Wairarapa. You've got a few showers this morning about Wellington and Wairarapa clearing this afternoon. Elsewhere it's going to be mainly fine with areas of morning cloud. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland mainly fine today. Cloud increasing this evening though and you've got some showers possible north of Hokitika wonderful place there on the west coast there not far from where Mary Jane Tamazi's mum and dad had a, a motel the Tamazi motels at Harry Harry yes right Harry Harry it was me that introduced you to her i know i remember Yes, back when we did a breakfast with the Mark Bennett, wasn't it? Yes, that was one He's lovely. What happened to Mark? I don't know. Haven't heard from him for ages anyway. Let me just finish this. Canterbury, hi to you guys. Hi, Canterbury, Otago. Fine and cloudy periods, isolated afternoon showers. Uh, gonna be the evening as well. Evening, afternoon and evening showers about Otago and Inland Canterbury. Now for Southland, what a place, what a wonderful place. How warm they are. Even though it's cold, the people are warm in Southland. And also Fjordland, mainly fine weather at first. Developing rain, though, this afternoon. Hmm, that's no good, is it? And, well, perhaps it is good because, you know, you do need rain And Sun and rain, that's what makes the grass grow. That's what makes the grass grow. Uh, Chatham Islands, periods of rain for you. The extended forecast for tomorrow, Thursday, in the uh, North Island, fine at first, a few showers in the afternoon in the east, and then you've got late showers in Taranaki and Kapiti in the South Island tomorrow. Uh, You've got scattered showers spreading north through the day. Uh, You've got late rain in Fiordland. Friday, rain spreads up the South Island to the lower North Island. Showers farther north about the North Island, uh, but remaining... Fine towards Gisborne and Hawkes Bay. You're going to have gale northwesterly winds there through Cook Strait as well. On Saturday, showers for most, frequent uh, heavy for regions you know around Taranaki and southwards. Uh, easing though later on, gale westerly is possible about western ranges, uh, the, you know the western regions of the North Island from Auckland southwards. And the extended forecast for the Chatham Islands showers and light northeasterly winds on Thursday. Then you've got rain. south-westerly is happening. Bit of a change to southwester. And then you've got um, rain developing again on Friday as the winds turn northwesterly and become strong, possibly gale, and continuing through till Saturday. Well, that is the weather all oh, done and dusted. It's com- coming up to ten minutes past five. Good morning, Digger. Good morning, mate. How are doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, let's play some, what do we do now? we, b- we better play an ad. Be the answer so he can run the TNT news and stuff, otherwise I'll we'll get pissed off with us, won't they? I suppose they will.
6: This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live.
0: 88.1 FM The Wireless New Zealand
9: News Alright we've got some New Zealand news let's have a look and see what we've got on the boil well let's see what happened on this day first of all before we hit the news how about we do that if you're having a birthday today a very good morning to you and a happy birthday I hope it goes really well for you uh, ring the boss and tell them you're not coming in this morning it's your birthday 31st of January 1921 what do we have well we we, we had the very first email service in New Zealand I don't, th- I don't think it It was the very first. It was one a bit earlier than that. New Zealand's first regular airmail service begins on this day, piloted by Captain Ewan Dixon. The first flight of the uh, aviation uh, company, its new airmail service, left Christchurch at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, carrying several hundred letters to Ashburton and Timaru, uh, into the teeth, the tooth, uh, the teeth into the teeth of a southwesterly gale. Now George Bolt, remember George Bolt Drive? That's the that's the road that's named on the way to the Auckland Airport. There, he made the first official air mail flight uh, in New Zealand. That was from Auckland to Dargaville in December 1919. That was when your mother was born. That was right. That's when she was born. Uh, Canterbury Aviation Company hoped to go one better with the regular service with the. And they were flying an and uh, what they call an Avro 504K. It was a biplane. You know, with the Two, two lots of wings over the top. And this um, this failed to gain the custom it needed to make a profit and it ended in April. Bolt's attempt to establish a regular service between Auckland and Whangarei using a seaplane also hit a bit of turbulence. I like the way they write that. Me too. Sir Henry Wigram, he established the, the Canterbury Aviation Company as a private flying school in 1916 as New Zealand had no air force and the company trained pilots for service in Britain. That's for Britain, you know, during the, sec- the First World War, I should say. Uh, in 1920, 19- Twenty-three, the New Zealand government purchased land and assets of the company for its newly formed air force, and they renamed Wigram. There we are, Wigram. That's the airfield. It was called the. It was the RNZAF. So that's the Royal New Zealand Air Force, and it was the main training base right up, right up all the way till nineteen ninety-five. That's, um, and that is the truth of the matter. That is the truth of the matter, Digger.
10: Well, very exciting news out of the states. Elon Musk has announced his brain chip factory called Neuralink, which he founded himself, has just implanted the first brain chip in a human. He tweeted today, the first human received an implant from Neuralink yesterday and is recovering well. Initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Well, we have exclusive footage today, ladies and gentlemen, of said human post-operation recovering well. We're going to be cyborgs. It's all just a matter of time. You can get add-ons now. Just go to Neuralink. I mean, imagine being the first person to put up your hand and be like, yeah, okay, I'll be the guinea pig. <laughs>
11: Give it a go. It, it's a pretty amazing individual. technology.
8: I mean, it'll help quadriplegics control mm-hmm. devices with their thoughts. But I'm just wondering if we like
11: Tesla where, you know, you've got 22,000 people recalled because there's something wrong with the <laughs> software and they've got to do an upgrade. And, and I can see the medical use for it if we're talking about people who are quadriplegic mm. and, and can finally have some, you know, autonomy because of it. But Elon Musk has already said that he wants to achieve a symbiosis with artificial Technology, mm. artificial intelligence, sorry. Mm. So what he's ultimately talking about is you, anyone could have a chip put in their brain and start talking to computers and altering your thoughts and doing all sorts of things. Again, I mean, we talk about being beholden to technology in terms of banks if you, you can't get any cash out because the uh, telecommunication systems have gone down. Imagine if we're all walking around with brain chips and mm. someone hacks into that system. I mean, the things they could do to you are just absurd. Well, loving love this-
10: for his freedom of speech stances and Thank God he bought Twitter, but he's always been a very passionate transhumanist, always.
8: But where this is going to go, I mean, the transgender debate is what constitutes a man or a woman. The transhuman debate is going to be what constitutes a human being. God help Mm. us when we're having that argument. Blimey. How about some wake-up music, Grant?
9: I'll put it on while you're out in the dunny. Make you feel better. Well, it does. It does make me feel better. It's 19 minutes past five. 19 past five this morning, and uh, yeah, that's um, Coldplay. There we are. That's a wake up call there for you. Just a rise and shine. Hey, I've got an interesting story for you. Uh, there was a masked. Well, we don't know who this person is. He wasn't masked. No, he's, he's been unmasked, I should say. CCTV footage, the image shows a mystery man who delivered $5,000 in cash to a pensioner, and then he ran away. But he doesn't look like a crook or anything like that. The New Zealand Herald, Um, we've got um David Fisher, I think, reporting on this one. You can find this story yourself at RNZ, rnz.co.nz. No, it's not. It's nzherald.co.nz, I should say. RNZ's radio, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the Herald reported the astonished and concerned of an Auckland pensioner. He was handed $5,000 envelope filled with cash. Well, they didn't write that very well, did they? Why? What's wrong with it? Well, the envelope's not worth $5,000, is it? It says here, $5,000 envelope filled with cash. They should have said they handed an envelope filled with $5,000 worth of cash. Oh, I suppose they should have. The delivery man then turned and ran. Now there are images showing the face of the delivery man. David Fisher reports... This is the first of the delivery. This is the the face rather of the delivery man who dropped off the mystery envelope of five thousand dollars in cash to the Auckland pensioner. He has no idea where the money came from or whether he deserves it. Uh, This was captured by a nearby security camera as the man walked towards the home of the older gentleman. The man looks like a tradie, taking a stroll, but his mission that day at around two o'clock on December the twentieth was to deliver one hundred fifty dollar notes to the man he'd never met. The money was contained in an envelope taken from the right-hand pocket of the knee-length shorts worn by the younger man. The CCTV imagery carries evidence of the envelope. The pocket is clearly bulging and the weight of the wad of cash appears to have dragged his shorts a little bit lower. Showing his builder's crack. No, no, no. Cut that out. The, the, 70, the 78-year-old pensioner, he was pottering about in his garden on December the 20th when the man approached him and asked for him by name. He asked, this is, he asked the herald not to name him. This is the pensioner. And then, so this is what happened. He said, when the older gentleman acknowledged his name, the younger man pulled an envelope from his pocket. Gosh, I would have thought he was going to pull a gun out or something. Well, it depends what you did in your life, I suppose. You'd be worried. He pulled it out and he thrust it into the man's hand saying, this is for you. Then the older gentleman asked, what is it? And the younger man, who was already walking away, said, I'm just delivering it. And he looks like a smart young man there. He's got a sort of a bit of a beard. He's got his cap on around the other way. And he looks like a tradie. He's fit and healthy looking. Doesn't look like a crook. He, he's got, you know, nice, a nice physique. He doesn't have, you know, he's not, not, a, not a, you know, lazy or fat or whatever. And uh, there we are. The man was described as a, in his 20s, a gym fit. And the image supports the gym fit description, although the clothing isn't typically gym wear. It's the CCTV images show the black shorts, Ending just above the knee, the black trainers were worn with black socks and a hint of pale skin about the socks, suggesting that uh, they had slightly slipped. So he's out in the sun, he works outside, I'd say, don't you think? Yeah, he could do. Uh, The man was wearing black singlet and those two of those fluoro things, those stripes down the front, like you know, like the sock line where the, the evidence of the t shirt tan, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And so I handed him the envelope, and the older gentleman suspected it contained cash by the weight you know that he felt. And um, he, he quickly tore open the envelope, confirmed that it's his suspicions. And so there we are. It was a short, a short pursuit, with the younger man quickly turning a fast walk into a quick run and disappeared out of sight. The older gentleman called police immediately and surrendered the money to the officers who visited his home. A month on, there's still no answers from police. We don't know. But David Fisher has that story at the New Zealand Herald. You can find out more about that uh, at, at um, nzherald.co.nz. nzherald.co.nz. Now, what's going on with the Palestinians? Well, they're not Palestinians, aren't they're not Arabs.
8: Let's talk about the aid money and the aid money that went Mm. to UN agencies, of which we learned by the day the number of people that were involved in the October 7 attacks grows. It's now, what, the best part of 1,200. Mm. Um, This is where my position has always been, and it won't surprise people uh, as a libertarian, right, which is less money as possible to the highly compromised United Nations Mm -hmm. and trying to send it to targeted aid through particular local charities or perhaps international bodies that have better accountability. But I want to ask a question about if you're sitting around the Cabinet table and something like this comes up, right, and they say, all right, $10 million we're sending to the UN to do this. Obviously, once we've given it, the assumption is that the UN takes care of it. But do we have any process to actually follow that the 10 million ends up in the right place or doesn't go to the wrong people?
12: Well, look, I mean, the the way the UN works is it's got committees. It does have some degree of transparency. Nowhere near enough, clearly, in this case. 100%. uh, And we should not resume this funding until we are absolutely convinced that everybody who participated, supported, you know, this atrocity, this barbaric atrocity, are held to account. You know, they've already said, oh, we've sacked a range of them already. They should be sacked. They should be jailed. So, like, people who were supporting this, actively helping this should be dealt with. And they should be dealt with harshly. Mm. Uh, So Australia should under no circumstances resume this aid until it is absolutely convinced that this agency
8: has cleaned its own house. And if it's not you just sit there and go, no. But we don't hear that out of the government. We heard no. uh, temporary pause because it was a lovely little callback to something else that had been previously well, and, called. And
13: it was forward. also because Penny Wong announced a boost to the funding to Anwar when it was known and accepted around the world that members, people that were employed by Anwar that were teaching in Gaza schools and employed by them were part of the Hamas October 7 mm. pogrom yet... Penny Wong went over and promised more funding to them. Everyone knew. And you might have said you've been talking about the uh, interest rates for six months. For over 12 months, I have made multiple speeches in the parliament reading out textbooks from UNRWA and the anti-Semitism. I have read out social media posts of employees. Mm-hmm. of this UN agency. Now, we have to remember here too, the UN does have refugee agencies, but this is a specific agency for Palestinians. So why do they need that? Mm-hmm. And I've actually, I mean, I'm sure Stephen, you might have as well. I've been to the Palestinian camp, bit Anwar, in Ramallah. It's not a camp. It's a suburb. There's a sports club. I went to a restaurant there. They also have monuments erected to martyrs who've killed Jewish civilians. Mm-hmm. That are beneficiaries of a pay-for-slave policy. There is much more to be done on this front, and we need to acknowledge that Palestinians, many, many through Hamas and through this UN organisation, absolutely preach from the river to the sea, and that is the decimation and genocide of Israel. Right. and It's not acceptable. Gang, thank you for the chat. Uh, that was remarkably friendly. I wanted a bit more. <laughs> oh,
8: sorry, but no, well, no, they got along. They got they got along. I'm going to have one, okay. and I want to hear it in the car <laughs> park. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Twenty
9: six minutes past five. Good morning to you, and uh, that is from Sky TV. That's one of the latest ones just come up from Sky Sky News. You can find them at skynews. What are they? A U is it? Yeah, no That's what it is. All right, we've got um, who have we got lined up? Well, let's just check out this. This is I'm just reading about this very interesting story here. Taranaki doctor Peter Kennedy. Now Kennedy is a marvelous doctor. He's been accused of peddling COVID nineteen misinformation. They say he committed professional misconduct. What about they're the ones that have committed professional misconduct? A doctor who was suspended from practising after complaints that he was spreading COVID-19 and vaccine falsehoods has been found to have committed professional misconduct. Dr Peter Kennedy, he's a former radiologist and the Taranaki District Health Board, uh, that's where he worked, he faces charges relating to a radio interview and two online presentations that he gave in 2021 about the pandemic. <laughs> and the country's vaccine rollout. A finding by the Health Practitioner's Disciplinary Tribunal, they're a bunch of sharks, aren't they? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're the ones that should be uh, up before the before a jury of New Zealanders to find them guilty of vax murder. That's what I say. Uh, they released today that Can- Canada told viewers that, uh, he was, that there was a link between the vaccine and sterility, miscarriages and deaths. Well, we know that's true now, don't we, Digger? Yes, we do. From um, Barry Young. That's right, Barry Young, the whistleblower from the Ministry of Health. He also claimed that COVID-19 treatments had been suppressed in favour of the Pfizer vaccine. Pfizer. Klaus's Pfizer. uh, Which described, he he described it as as an experimental biological agent. The tribunal decision found aspects of the charge against Canada that were not individually proven to be professional misconduct, but when considered cumulatively. Gosh, that's weasel words, isn't it? They, well, it could amount to professional misconduct. This is what they say. Could you see how they write things? Uh, in a hearing last year, the professional misconduct or <laughs> the professional conduct committee, the PCC, they are a bit PC. They appointed. It was appointed by the medical council. Well, they're a bunch of sharks as well, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yes, That was brought charges during the five-day hearing in New Plymouth. Now, the hearing heard that in July 2021, uh, Peter Canaday he appeared on a community radio station in Raglan. That's up near, um, hem- mm, it's inland from Ham. it's by the coast, isn't it? And hem- yeah, coast, yeah, surface, yeah, dope-smoking surface. Yeah, and uh, the same month he was featuring in an online presentation entitled Courageous Convos, Dr Peter Kennedy. And the following month, another one named COVID-19 and the Pfizer vaccine fact or fantasy. The report found Kennedy told viewers there was a link between the vaccine's sterility and deaths, he says, I mean, we're talking about potential sterility here. And, you know, we're talking about elimination of the potential of having large numbers of deaths from these vaccines. Well, I was speaking to John Ansel just the other day, and, and he, they, they suspect the people that are doing their homework on this overseas, really top line people looking at. Barry Young, the whistleblower from the Ministry of Health, are looking at all his data, which is anonymized so uh, uh, anonymized? Yeah. so that people that no names are given out. They're trying to say that's what it is, and they locked him up. They've blimmin' arrested him. Anyway, um, there is no... Um, th- th- it's true. It's true. They, they say that it could be ten to 12,000 New Zealanders so far, and they're dropping dead like flies all around us, aren't they? Half past five, too, by the way. The tribunal heard that Canada recommended the animal deworming drug in vector, it's no, look, ivermectin is not. See, this is who wrote this? This, it's not just ivermectin is not an animal deworming drug only. Ivermectin is, is one of the safest if you're going to use uh, allopathic, allopathic drugs, which I wouldn't use. Ivermectin is probably one of the safest, and it's used in, in people, it's been used all over the world. See, that's misinformation, that is disinformation. That's purposely they know that's true, anyway. It is an effective treatment against um, worms. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also if you're feeling crook, if you've got some microbes inside of you, because that's what it really is. They're not, there's no virus. They're just microbes running around inside your body. Every single person, roughly, the average person has two kilograms of microbes in their body, and when you look at them, what these do, these experts do, they look at the microbes under the microscope and they think, oh, that's a virus. They, don't they? They do, yeah. They think it's a virus, but it's not a virus. It's just your microbes, they're diseased. They're not at ease. And so because you've been eating bad food, you've been taking pharmaceutical drugs, uh, you've been vaccinated as a child, all these things, and quite often your body's just trying, the vital force inside the body is just trying to present all the stuff on the skin. Quite often it comes out on the skin. When things come out on the skin, that's a good sign. That tells a real physician, uh, there's a problem on the inside, it's presenting on the outside, we better do something, we better find out what the root cause of this is. Now, what have you been doing? How's your sleeping going? Oh, what do your poos look like? That sort of, um, what else What else they ask? Yeah. Well they do a full it takes about two or three hours to do a full consultation with a the homeopath. They they're the only ones that really know what's going on. Because homeopath is similar, like you is like, similar 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 bus curantia, that's the Latin for it. But the doctors, they have no idea of the interaction of drugs. They've got no idea they don't know what they're doing. But here they are, they've they've taken control of medicine. And they've taken, and you know, we, we, and we all go along to them. We treat them like demigods, don't we? We go along, get a check-up, and they overprescribe. They fill you up with pharmaceutical drugs. They are pushers for the drug company. That's who they are, and that's what they are. It's twenty-eight minutes to six. Now uh, we'll leave that story there, but you know what I mean. It's just absolute rubbish. This story is disinformation. That's what it is. Other top stories, just quickly there. Um, One New Zealand. That's um, Vodafone, I think it is. Uh, cuts staff. It continues to talks with unions over the WFH reduction, whatever that is. And we've got a couple of other high profile New Zealand musician bailed uh, on family violence charges. We'll find out about that as we go on through the to, through the day. In business, Woolworth slashes seventy percent from its New Zealand share market value. I think we had that yesterday. And Wooten Bassett makes mark. At now that would be, was that the Caracca um, sales? We'll find out about that sport anyway. Um, NZSAS veterans offered urgent cash payments to prevent them quitting. Ooh, yeah, they not want to walk out uh, because they don't want to go and fight for, in some country overseas there, uh, you know, fight for no, no good reason. That would be my guess. Uh, deeply sad 90-year-old retailer Godfrey's enters voluntary administration. That is a shame. Godfrey's lifestyle six ways to spot a liar (laughs) according to the experts oh the experts and senior doctor files uh, they're actually um, they're not filing they're flying in senior doctors are flying in from Australia to work on on just just come in for a week and work and it's in a specialised area, and I'll tell you about that as we go on. Former Pakistani uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan has been sentenced to 10 years for tra- for revealing state secrets, apparently, to Islamabad. And top Kiwi cop appointed to global, they call it, international, yeah, international role at Interpol and what they call MFAT, M-F-A-T. I don't know what that is. Now, uh, what have I got coming up for you? I have got a few interesting things coming up I've got this thing on what do you think about homosexuality I don't know
14: homosexuality also happens in nature do they have you want, you, want, you want to go to that
9: Or oh, let's go to that
14: <laughs> So you're yeah, saying because okay. animals do this particular action it should be not, we're using that as a standard for human beings yeah Not as a standard but it's like okay. it's not unfamiliar in the animal world Animals eat their young so should we be eating babies No why not animals do it animals do incest should we be doing it No So do you realize not no disrespect about how ridiculous yes. using animals as a source of morality is not the greatest source of morality
9: 25 to 6 here with the World of Fine. This is Credence Clearwater Revival. Very good morning to you. Here we go. Credence Clearwater Revival on The World at Five with me, your host, Grant Edwards. And uh, why don't we go over and have have a listen to some Australian news. But before we do, uh, we'll find out that actually the retail sales over there have dropped the the new figures coming out. Uh, they came out in, uh, for December. We'll have a look at that in a moment. Before we do, let's. I think it's Vicky McKay, she's on this morning. We'll go to Radio New Zealand. You can find them at rnz.co.nz. And we'll have a listen to their 4 o'clock bulletin. Let's do that right now. It's, uh, yes, 22 minutes to 6. we we'll also have TNT Radio News too it's at uh, 6 o'clock.
4: RNZ News at 4. Morena, I'm Vicky Mackay. Good morning. Hamas says it will study a new ceasefire proposal in the war with Israel in Gaza as Israeli forces continue their offensive. The Israeli government is hoping to secure the release of more than 100 hostages still held in Gaza under any potential ceasefire. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports.
11: The Hamas political leader, Ismail Haniyeh, has now confirmed he's received a proposal. He says Hamas is studying it and he will head back to Cairo for discussions on it. The basis of the deal is reported to be a 45-day pause in fighting, with the release of a number of hostages still held in Gaza and thousands of Palestinians jailed in Israel. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has called it a good, strong proposal, but it would require a major shift from the stated positions of both sides. In Israel, the far-right Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir has threatened to bring down the government if what he's called a reckless deal is agreed.
4: Meanwhile, the Jewish Council is pleased the government has decided to review its funding for the UN's aid agency for Palestinian refugees. Several other countries have suspended contributions to UNRWA over allegations some of its staff were involved in the Hamas attack in Israel in October. New Zealand gives $1 million every year, but the Prime Minister says he wants to be sure it's the right place for that money to go to. A spokesperson for the Jewish Council says anti-Semitism and incitement to terrorism is is systemic within UNRWA. Building control officers in Christchurch have caught a compliance manager at a private firm forging fire safety certificates. The 51-year-old was trying to dupe the City Council into issuing warrants of fitness for several buildings by using the identity of a retired building consultant. The man was sentenced last week to nine months home detention on four charges spanning two years. Police say the offending directly affected public safety. The man's employer says it did not know what he was doing and it has strengthened its oversight systems. The Postal Workers' Union will begin talks with the NZ Post tomorrow to try to save the jobs of hundreds of posties. Last year, the Postal Service announced it would cut 750 mail delivery jobs in the next five years. The union president, John Maynard, says the company has since confirmed that after that deadline, it wants all delivery workers, parcels and mail, to be contractors. He says that leaves workers vulnerable without paid annual or sick leave and any protections under the Employment Relations Act. A British parliamentary committee says the music industry remains a male dominated environment where sexual harassment and abuse is common. In a report about misogyny in the industry, the Women and Equalities Committee says musicians sometimes have to sit beside sexual abusers at parties and events due to a culture of silence. It says victims who do not speak out, oh, I beg your pardon, it says victims who do speak out may find their career ends as a consequence. Among a series of recommendations, the committee calls for a ban on non-disclosure agreements in sexual abuse cases. To sport, and at the Under-19 Cricket World Cup in Bloemfontein, South Africa this morning, New Zealand have been bowled up by India for 81 runs, giving India a 214-run victory, cementing their top of Group 1 status with three wins from three games for six points, New Zealand a fourth with two points.
3: And that's the news. Scraping together all the news and
6: information you need. It's engaging. At the top and bottom of the hour, today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
15: get to those retail sales and the outlook for our economy. Richard Yetzinger is the chief economist with the ANZ Bank. Richard, thanks for your time. That stock market is kind of telling you that a lot of people have already banked in rate cuts from the Reserve Bank, doesn't it? I guess so. I mean, and
16: the retail numbers today, and they're not alone, of course, remember unemployment's up a little bit, jobs growth has been down quite sharply, the ANZ Indeed job ads series is suggesting that the unemployment rate will rise a bit further. I think all of these indicators say there's no realistic chance of any more rate hikes and the market likes to bet on something so it's going for cuts.
15: OK, but then go to those retail sales. Is this more about the consumer changing their behaviour or is it that they have generally cut back now, which is what the Reserve Bank has always wanted them to do, and as a result you're seeing it through that retail sector? Oh, there's both. There's the
16: forest and there's the trees. The, the trees are this changed seasonality with November Black Friday sales pulling some sales into November, so we need to try and abstract from that. But the forest story is... Spending's been down. It's continuing to trend lower. It's part of that slower economic dynamic and consistent with the idea that the bank's trying really hard not to hike anymore. And, I look, I, I don't think they will. I think they're on hold now before we start to see some easings later.
15: OK, but out of the United States on Friday, there were very strong economic numbers, largely driven by consumers being more robust than what it was imagined they would be. We're seeing this slowdown in retail sales here, but we're not seeing unemployment. So what is the state of household finances right now? Look, the household... Ba- in aggregate, the
16: household balance sheet is in the, in the strongest shape I've really ever seen. Certainly, we have to go back at least 15 years to argue the household sector is stronger. Now, clearly,
15: some households... So that are gives it not- capacity to continue to spend, doesn't it? Well, it makes them more resilient
16: to rate hikes. Yes. And, and with... Um, infrastructure spending, spending associated with the climate transition, trying to deal with the housing affordability challenge, trying to ramp up defence spending, the export sector doing pretty well with commodity prices quite high. Somebody needs to give the economy some breathing room and that's really been consumers, because a lot of those other areas of spending are proving even more resilient than the household sector.
15: Okay, so then that would go to the the to, to the, the the government's argument that something has changed in the economy, which justified the change intact on the tax cuts. The question is whether pumping that money into low- and middle-income earners is where the hurt is, which is what we're seeing in these retail sales.
16: Look, I think there are there are distributional challenges in Australia. Clearly, I can talk about the household sector, kind of Joe and Helen average, but clearly there are households who are having a much more difficult time where um, kind of cost-of-living pressures might be a higher proportion of their take-home um, pay. I don't think it's unreasonable that policy is skewed towards targeting... Um, those sectors. I think the overwhelming message, though, is it's consumption, which is one of the primary areas of adjustment. We needed the economy to slow to get inflation back to target. Uh, We've got some numbers out, which hopefully will start to show that. All
15: right, so those numbers come out tomorrow with the inflation numbers coming out. They could potentially add to the argument that the economy is coming back to equilibrium, that inflation is coming back towards the band, and that's only going to add to the argument that there are more rate cuts coming, which adds more fuel to the stock market, more fuel to the property market Maybe. You're getting ahead of yourself. Let's see what the numbers say. I mean, the numbers will certainly
16: say inflation has peaked and is coming down. As we know, the bank's worry hasn't been that it's not coming down. The question is, is it coming back to target quickly enough? I think it will suggest it's coming back to target quickly enough. And we don't just get uh, quarterly uh, consumer... uh, Sorry, uh, consumer prices. We get monthly prices as well. So the market will probably extrapolate that monthly indicator a little bit. And that monthly indicator, for the first time in a couple of years, may well have a three in front of it, saying inflation is back to three-point-something. We want... 3.0 3.0 or below to be consistent with the inflation target but we're getting into that sort of territory
15: now. And just very quickly I mean there are eight Reserve Bank meetings this year compared with the normal 11. Does that really change the momentum of or the settings or what we imagine might come from the Reserve Bank? I think look conceptually it should make some of the meetings less a toss of a coin because on average you
16: have six weeks between meetings let's say rather than four or four and a half weeks so there should be more certainty I think or Less guesswork, maybe, about the, what the bank's likely to do at each meeting
15: because we'll have a bigger accumulation of evidence. That is always a good thing to see. Less guesswork. i am got to say, Richard Yetzinger, it's always great having you the program. Many thanks for your time today.
9: And that's brought to you by Sky News. You'll find them at skynews.com.au. 14 minutes away from the news with TNT, 14 minutes away from 6, and uh, we are just looking at the front page of Radio New Zealand. You'll find them at rnz.co.nz. Government pushes out police recruitment the timeline. Uh, the coalition agreement between the National and New Zealand First said that, this the national parties, that they would commit to training no fewer than 500 new frontline police within the next two months, uh, or two years, I should say. Giles Dexter reports, and uh, the government has changed one of its coalition commitments. They're doing a lot of that, aren't they? Nine and a half weeks since the dotted line was signed, the coalition agreement between National and the New Zealand First Party said that the parties would commit... To training no fewer than 500 new frontline police officers within the first two years, but under questioning in Parliament on Tuesday, Police Minister Mark Mitchell pushed out the timeline. He says the government's policy to deliver 500 additional police officers over the term of the government, uh, over the term of the government, which is three years, he said, Labour. Police spokesman Jenny Anderson accused the government of backtracking on one of its coalition promises. Well, they do a lot of that. Uh, National's coalition agreement with New Zealand First promises 500 new frontline police officers within the first two years, said uh, that was what Mitchell said today. Uh, as uh, he's walked away from that, this is what she said. That's a concern for all those other promises that uh, have been the, you know, the frontline coalition agreements. Mitchell denied it was a walk back, saying that he'd received advice in his briefing. To the incoming minister, that there were issues around recruitment, and there are. There's going to be a, a bigger budget, according to the police commissioner. Uh, bolstering the thin blue line requires a substantially fatter budget, according to police commissioner Andrew Acosta. That's why we call him it, it? Yeah, Acosta, because he's been accosted quite a lot of people at the protest at the Wellington on the on the front lawns at Beehive there, in 2020. Two, it was. The government promises 500 new front lines. Oh, we had all that. Bit of repetition there. But Police Minister Mark Mitchell is clear that he wants more of them on the community beat and return of a police hub in Auckland. They want that thing built again. They shut that down, in the downtown one, that is. That closed in 2013. At the same time, the government has singled belt tightening across the board. Police Commissioner Andrew Acosta said that that he shared the minister's goals Uh, That was going to cost more money, he said. Costa told Checkpoint, that's Radio New Zealand Checkpoint, the minister, that's Mitchell, we absolutely agree with one another that visible police presence in our town centres has great value. However, further investment needed to come before an increase in beat patrols. But they already get, don't they already get $2 billion a year in income from the speed cameras and other things? I think so. There was an Official Information Act done, Digger. When was that done? Done a few years ago, I think it was two thousand and nineteen, and it was almost two billion dollars of, of of money that comes into the cops so i don 't know why they need any more, but this is what Costa said. We do have existing buildings, some of which are able to accommodate additional staff. The details of our discussion with the minister will need to cover the cost of five hundred additional staff, and of course they will, where they 'll be located. Police were already dealing with a massive increase in demand across the board but he and Mitchell went out on the beat last Friday, went out on the beat, and uh, and their staff, they were doing an outstanding job. That's what he says anyway. I don't think they are. And and the judges are doing a bad job. What, what are they doing? They locked that fellow up for, um, for the building inspector, you know, pretending that he was getting some retired building inspectors to sign off buildings, and they gave him home detention for nine months. They'll give a murderer home detention. And, there's, and I know, I've heard this, that there's jails that aren't full. And there's, you know, little houses, they put you in there when you're just about ready to go on parole. They're all empty, apparently. This is what I've heard. Now, did you know this, that walking backwards uh, could be one step closer to health? And we say this with the time at 10 minutes to 6. Apparently, walking backwards can be healthy for you. You'll find that story over at rnz.co.nz. Former Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan, he gets 10 years jail term, now, that is very interesting. I think it's just a sham. They're just uh, shutting him up. The Pakistan court has handed former Prime Minister Imran Khan, a 10-year da- Khan, a 10- 10-year jail term for leaking state secrets. That's what they said. His media team has said, his second conviction in recent months, and just 10 days before the country's general election. That's what it's about, isn't it? That's what it's about. Uh, the case pertains to allegations that Khan had made public content of secret a secret cable sent by the country's ambassador in Washington to the government of Islamabad. Khan's party, the Pakistan Tehek-e-Unsaf, that's the PTI for short, for people like me that can't read, um, he, both Khan and former foreign minister Shah Mahmood Kurishi, they've been sentenced to 10 years each by a special court. It said that the party would challenge the decision and called it a, a sham case. We don't accept the um, illegal decision, Khan's lawyer, Nasim Pundhutha, said. He posted on social media on the platform X, formerly Twitter. It is the second conviction for the embattled former cricket star in recent month. He has previously been sentenced to three years in, for uh, on a corruption case, while his jail term was suspended as he challenged the corruption conviction. It had already ruled him out of the country's general election next week, which is exactly the aim of the whole thing. It's eight minutes to six. And other news, national undecided on ACTS four-year term legislation. We've got a senior doctor. They're flying in from Australia, this particular one here. Uh, a senior doctor is getting flown in from Australia to the Palmerston North Hospital for a week out of every four, work, uh, working the, the remaining three remotely. Tewata Aura. Or a what? Uh, T Water or that's um, health. The New Zealand Health Department will not discuss how much this costs, but says that the senior addictions clinician, addictions, yeah, uh, the senior dic- addictions clinician, his position that the doctor fills is difficult to recruit for. The sector group agrees, saying it highlights the shortage of specialist staff. No, that's that story. Any other news on Radio New Zealand? Uh, it's never too early to turn back. Search and rescue, that's what they, they're warning people, that if you're out there tramping and you know, and all of a sudden you get some fog or you know a bit of torrential rain, you need to do something about that. Ruapehu search and rescue coordinator wants to remind people that it is never too early to turn back after two hikers spent 12 hours on Mount Ruapehu and had to be rescued after the weather turned bad. Fog and torrential rain arrived in the area while the couple were on the mountain, forcing them off the track. After several hours of walking, the couple realised that they were lost and called police. They were found by Alpine Rescue, that's Ruapehu Alpine Rescue Organisation, when the skies cleared at around 11pm at night. Ruapehu, that will be that dog, won't it, Digger? Yeah, they get the dog on a job, get dogs out there to find you. They're they're called Rescue SARS or something, S-A-R, Search and Rescue. Coordinator, Constable Mark Bolton, he said the pair were... They were prepared for a walk for several hours of good weather, rather than 19 hours of poor weather, and that's what they ended up in. And uh, so the rain was torrential he said, but they found them. And but it's never too late. So if things look like they're not doing too, and check the forecast, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Six minutes away from six. Uh, other news is and news and brief from RadioNewZealand.com. Dunedin man for uh, bought CCTV camera in the weeks before his death. Judith Singh. He, he was last seen on Sunday night. He had security concerns in the weeks prior to his death, and he was found just lying there in blood and, and shards of glass all around him. Uh, police, I, I don't think they're still really, they're trying to piece together exactly what happened to him. Solomon Island's out in the Pacific there. Solomon Island's their poll date has been set. Chief Electoral Officer told the state broadcaster the tentative date of the Governor-General's proclamation was the 20th of February, which means Solomon Islanders were hit the polls on the 17th of April. There we are. And Alice Robinson medal again at Giant Slalom World Cup. Queenstown's Alice Robinson, she finishes second in the FIS Giant Slalom World Cup in Italy. Congratulations to you. In politics, work on Wellington water funding ready in the pipeline, according to Minister. A local mayor says that they want the regional water costs separate from their council's budget. And James Shaw, he resigns as as the party the Green Party co-leader. Uh, James Shaw he's announced that he will be stepping down as the Green Party co-leader in March. He said it has been a privilege of my life to serve New Zealand's climate change as New Zealand's climate change minister for the past 6 years as Green Party co-leader for nearly 9. That's what he said in a statement yesterday. I'm very proud of what the Greens have achieved over the last 8 years. Yeah. He he said it would he would he would remain in parliament to support the members bill. Which would insert a new clause into the Bill of Rights Act, stating that everyone has a right to a clean, healthy, and sustainable environment. What a load of nonsense! Putting that in a bill, it's just—it doesn't mean anything. It's just nonsense. You know they don't follow it anyway, do they? Over over the COVID flipping pandemic, they just rode roughshod over the Bill of Rights. So what's the point of even having it? Just what you do with the Bill of Rights, with me? You just go like this all you can do with it, really. It's just rubbish. No one follows it. The judges ride roughshod over it. Anyway, he's going to remain in politics. He said the Greens had become a party of government. Really? With the minister from for the first time. Well, He said the Greens had become party of government with ministers for the first time and had made political history by increasing its support at the end of uh, each of our two terms, a feat no other government support partner had achieved. It is especially gratifying that the Zero Carbon Act, which passed with unanimous support across Parliament, had survived its first change of government. Well, of course it's going to, because it's a globalist plot, isn't it, to finance the United Nations with all the things they're going to do when the Antichrist takes over. (laughs) Here's a three minutes to to six. And uh, what else have we got? Treaty of Waitangi Articles and Principles. Uh, Now, didn't we have, um, what's his name, the little weasel? Uh, Seymour, he was he was talking about making some changes to the treaty, wasn't he? I don't think, I don't think he wants the changes, he just wants us to under you know, just read the words on the page and understand them properly according to the to the Oxford dictionary instead of allowing Murray's interpretation of the treaty. Anyway, so that's RNZ news. Uh, the front page stories are over at um New Zealandherald.co.nz, the CCTV shows the mystery man who delivered five thousand dollars in an envelope to an old pensioner. They've got a shot of him. He looks like a nice young chap, and you know you don't know. He might have just gone down and drawn out the money. Hard to draw out money actually, from the bank. They don't want to give it to you, even if even though it's in your account. Uh, they don't want to give it to you. Uh, so there's a bit. We're a bit low on the, uh, a bit low on the ground. We have, don't have too many stories. The cot death research highlights the risk to Pacifica babies. You will don't get them vaccinated, and you've got a better chance of not having them die of a cot death. Apparently, Pacific babies are still dying in their beds. Yeah, well, don't jab them. Much higher rates than any ethnicity other than Maori. New research shows that the places Pacifica infants are at risk that keeps them safe. Uh, Pacific mothers who do not speak English at home have a regular GP before pregnancy are most likely not to follow safe sleeping practices. Either way, they lie on them. They roll over on them because they're fairly tubby, aren't they, some of these Pacific women? More fun... Per ton, <laughs> one man said about his wife, more ounce, more um, more what is it? More bounce per ounce. Ah, uh, anyway, there's nothing there. Okay, let's got news coming up. News is on the way from TNT, and uh, what have we got? We have got the Taronga, the Tararua. Is this a news story? I think it is. Yes, not too far. The Tararua, that's down there, not far from. Where's that from? T- Tararoo Rangers, that's down the Levin, isn't it? The district police note increased in drinking and driving and fraudulent online trading, apparently. Over the Christmas holiday period, we witnessed a significant increase in the number of people driving or attempting to drive under the influence of alcohol. More than a dozen people have been found over the legal limit. Nine of them have now been summoned to appear in court in the new year. This type of behaviour is disappointing, given the potential consequences of driving whilst impaired under the influence of booze and drugs. If you've been drinking, don't drive. Well, that's common sense, isn't it? I've got no tolerance, Digger. No tolerance for drink driving. My brother and sister were in a very serious car accident in 1970. One of the boys was killed, and all three of the others were very badly damaged there by a Mari fellow who was driving drunk from the Reparoa pub. OK, we're moving across to TNT Radio News, and we'll join them right now.
6: to hear a replay of this hour go to episodes at tntradio.live
7: now tnt radio news for tnt this is james o'neill a New York Times report citing a classified Israeli government document has alleged the involvement of several United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency UNRWA or UNRA employees in the kidnapping of Israelis and assistance to Hamas during the attack on October 7th. The report claims that out of the 12 UNRWA employees implicated, seven were teachers, two were employed in other capacities at UNRWA schools, and three others held positions as a clerk, social worker, and storeroom manager. It's alleged that the ten of these individuals were members of Hamas, which is recognized as a legally elected government in Gaza, but is classified as a terrorist group by Israel, and one was reportedly affiliated with Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Specific allegations include a school counselor from Khan Yunus collaborating with his son in the kidnapping of an Israeli woman, and a social worker from Nuzerat assisting in the removal of a deceased Israeli soldier's body back to Gaza, as well as distributing vehicles and ammunition before the attack. Additionally, three men allegedly received text messages on October 7th, directing them to meeting points, with one being ordered to bring rocket-propelled grenades. The report also mentions that two U.S. officials, while aware of these Israeli claims, have not confirmed the details. Following these allegations, the United States was the first to halt funding to UNRWA, with Canada and several other countries following suit. Joseph Borrell, the EU's foreign policy chief, has acknowledged the limited impact of Western sanctions intended to support Ukraine and weaken Russia. Speaking at the Global Gateway Investors Forum, Borrell emphasized the importance of defending the principles of the United Nations in light of the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Contrasting with this, Russian President Vladimir Putin has claimed that the Russian economy is prospering and expanding, partly due to the sanctions, which have shifted its focus from energy exports to manufacturing. The G7 and EU sanctions on Russian oil, aimed at reducing Moscow's energy income, have instead backfired, as indicated by a recent study. The sanctions' unintended consequences have been concerns for Kiev, which has noted that Russia has not been isolated to the extent promised by the West. This is partly because China and several nations in the global south have chosen to remain neutral, not aligning with the Western stance against Moscow. Burrell's comments suggest a need for greater cooperation from Central Asian states to effectively isolate Russia. Hamas, labeled as a terrorist organization, reportedly declined an Israeli proposal on Monday for a deal that aimed to release about 132 hostages still held in Gaza. The proposal was rejected because it did not guarantee a permanent cessation of Israel's military actions in the region. In a terror attack on October 7th, Hamas had captured 243 hostages and killed approximately 1,200 people. A previous agreement had facilitated the release of 110 hostages in late October, but the ceasefire was broken and the conflict resumed. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken appraised a potential deal that proposed a gradual release of the remaining hostages in exchange for halting military operations and freeing up to 10,000 Palestinian convicts involved in terrorism. However, Hamas, alongside the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, also considered a terrorist organization, issued a statement rejecting any deal that doesn't conclude the war, and mandate a complete withdrawal of Israeli troops from Gaza. Rachel Maddow asked Eugene Carroll what she's going to do with Trump's money to help women's rights.
13: First thing, Rachel... You and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobe, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Rachel. Penthouse? And uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh, all right. All right. Okay. That's a joke.
7: We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James, and we'll
9: be back at 7 o'clock with more TNT Radio news. Uh, yeah, and I'll be back with the weather in just a moment.
5: Hey, why not give TNT Radio a follow? We sure would love you to do that. We're on all the social, major social platforms, including, of course, Facebook, Twitter, now X, Instagram, Gab, and Getter, among others. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. <laughs> You're listening
0: to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, the wireless, the world at five. 88.1 FM, the wireless, weather.
9: Oh, very good morning to you. It's five minutes past six o'clock, five past six, and I hope you're having a wonderful morning today. 31st of January today. Let's have a look at the weather forecast, shall we? Yes, let's do that. Well, the extremes at the moment, Taurang are 20.4 degrees. Tiana is on 5.8. Castle Point is still fairly windy there, 48 kilometres of wind per hour there. Gisborne's got a little bit of drizzle there happening, but it rained two millimetres of rain per hour falling in Gisborne over on the east coast of the North Island. Stewart Island now, temperatures right across the whole country. Chatham Island 17, Stewart Island's on 11. Invercargill's 9 degrees, Dunedin and Timaru 14 and 11. Christchurch 15, Blenheim's on 10. Queenstown, quite warm there really for this time of the year, I suppose. Yeah, considering Blenheim's on 10 degrees, Queenstown 12 degrees, France Joseph is also on 12 degrees. Westport is 17 degrees, Nelson's on 14. In the North Island, Wellington 15, Masterton 16, along with Napier. Palmerston North, 17 degrees this morning. And New Plymouth, they have 18 degrees. Taupo is 18 as well. And Rotorua, you've got 17 this morning. Gisborne, of course, 18. Uh, no, that can't be right. Yes, it's raining there with 18 degrees. Tauranga, 20.4 degrees right now. Hamilton, 15. Auckland's on 19, along with Whangarei uh, and Kaitaia has 20 degrees. The short forecast for Northland, Taranaki and Taupo, including the Bay of Plenty, mainly fine. Isolated showers possible during the afternoon and evenings. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, often cloudy with showers clearing this evening. For Wanganui to Taihapi, also Wellington and Wairarapa. A few showers about Wellington and Wairarapa clearing this afternoon. Uh, Elsewhere, it's going to be mainly fine with a few areas of morning cloud. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, mainly fine today. Cloud increasing this evening with a few possible showers about Hokitika, north of Hokitika. Canterbury and Otago, fine weather, cloudy periods, isolated afternoon and evening showers about Otago, inland Canterbury as well. For the South uh, Southland area, also fueled and mainly fine at first. Rain developing this evening and then Chatham Islands, you've just got periods of rain today. All day, periods of rain for you. It's seven minutes, coming up to seven minutes past. Seven minutes past and we're going to look at the news in a minute.
4: Some people have a sudden religious conversion, don't they? My mate Paul was driving to Winchester when a lorry jackknifed in front of him and he was hurtling towards it and everything went slow-mo and Paul, who's never been religious, spoke to Jesus and said, I promise if I survive this, I'll believe in you. And he did survive, but he fractured his skull and brought both his legs why did Jesus do that to him?
11: Well, you've
9: raised a very significant question about the nature of providence. Have I? You have indeed. If we believe in a good God,
0: why is there so much evil in the world? Now, your friend... Paul. Paul, his accident, uh, you know to what extent can one blame God for that? Mm. See,
4: Paul never forgave him. He said, if I ever see Christ again, he said, Dad, Mum. Mm.
9: <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well, how about a flip, bit of Fleetwood Mac and then we'll have a look at the news. I
17: took my love and took it down I climbed a mountain and I turned around And I saw my reflection in snow covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? i
9: going well, 12 minutes past six, and you're here at The World at Five with me, Grant Edwards, my old mate Digger. How long have you been with me for, Digger? Oh, since 1988. That's right. Since 1988. It's been a while, hasn't it? Been a while. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. Stevie Nicks there with Fleetwood Mac. Now, we're over at News Hub, and we're looking at the front page articles there. Green co-leader, Swarbrick. She weighs options. She could run uncontested, according to News Hub. That's what she said. And in crime, recidivist behaviour. Parnell business blame. They businesses are blaming crime. The crime wave on Kanga aura tenants. Now what are that? Kanga Laura, housing New Zealand. That's right, housing New Zealand tenants. They are not good to live next to, apparently. And no miracle, uh, miracle cure, apparently, according to optometrists. They have if- issued a warning that an eye condition on is on the rise among children so what's that one there earlier it's been identified m- more than we can do for, for it apparently according to optometrists did that make sentence that se- did that make sentence that sense <laughs> really got it bad this morning there's an eye condition uh, called myopia and it's on the rise it's short-sightedness in children apparently it's on the rise well it's because they've been jabbing them haven't they given a the covid vaccine and childhood vaccines Yes, but we're not supposed to say that on the radio. Uh, Wellington City uh, Council urges to uh, – they're going to pause. They're going to pause the cycle ways to fix the leaky pipes because they've got 3,050 leaky pipes in business. Godfrey's, they're going to close most of their stores right across New Zealand. And in Australia, Channel 9 apologised to the Australian Member of Parliament after airing altered images of her. <laughs> Why would they do that? Another cyclone predicted to form in the Coral Sea, according to Newswatch and our good friend out there, Philip Duncan. Uh, we'll find out about that a little bit later on. And Cyclone Gabrielle news, it's inhumane. Cyclone victims absolutely furious as Council tries to change buyout rules. And Israel-Palestine... The, the problem's over there. Peter says, quite possible. There are rotten apples in the organisation amid the UN Agency Funding Review. That's the organisation that's getting money from us. They get a million dollars a year, I think, from us. Fourteen past six. Uh, in transport, do not drive. Exploding airbags prompting warning to five, 50,000 Toyota owners to get it repaired immediately. That's an old story. Yeah, I know. I think it is too. I think we read that last month, didn't we? We did. Well, that's RNZ. Uh, that we did RNZ. this is newshub.co.nz and now we'll look just look and see if they, we we'll just see if they've got any anything specific to New Zealand there no not really New Zealand falls in the international corruption rankings ooh that doesn't sound very good does it no it says here that New Zealand fell two places in the 2023 corruptions Perceptions Index, the, the, it's called the CPI, published on Tuesday behind Denmark and Finland. We're behind them. Well, they're pretty good people over there, aren't they? We haven't, we haven't been placed third since 2012. The CPI gathers data from people in 180 countries and territories on how people perceive corruption in their country's public service. New Zealand scored 85 out of 100 in the CPI. Higher scores mean lower perceived corruption. So Anne Tolley, the chair of the Transparency International New Zealand and former National Party MP said, despite our low levels of corruption, complacency is not an option. She said they need to maintain low levels of corruption. She said it's essential for our economy and for our values of fairness and accountability. The dropping in ranks was attributed to, in one part, of the CPI called the Executive Opinion Survey, respondents were asked how how common it is for businesses to make undocumented payments or bribes to do with trade, taxes, public services, or government contracts. It also asked how common it was for public funds to be funneled to other individual groups. Yeah, there's a bit of that going on, isn't there? And so that is that. That's the news there from News Hub. Uh, We'll look at go to the South Island, shall we? Have a look, see what's happening there. The Otago Daily Times and the big stories there, the forensic inquiry significant. 25, oh, that just moved away from me. I'll just try and find that one there. 25 investigators along with forensic scientists have been assembled to probe an unexpected death in the Dunedin suburb of Pine Hill. That's that young Indian fellow, I think it is. We'll just click on that and I'll tell you. It is 16 minutes past. John Mark John, he is the... the, um, I was going to say pronouncer, but he's not. He's the uh, journalist there, 25 investigators, along with forensic scientists. Yeah, Yes, ju- uh, his name is Gurdit Singh. He's a 27-year-old. He was found lying in shards of glass outside his Hillary Street home on Monday morning, and police have been working to determine whether the death was suspicious. So they still don't know, do they? Uh, in an update yesterday, Detective Senior Sergeant Cullum Crudus said the Dunedin-based investigators, the ESR... Their scientists from Christchurch. They were continuing to examine the scene. A significant effort has been put into establishing the circumstances that led to the unexpected death, he said. Got the 25 there. The post-mortem examination was scheduled for today. Uh, it uh, emerged uh, yesterday. Mr. Singh was excitedly sharing plans to holiday with his new wife the night before he was found dead. Uh, dead. Terrible. I just couldn't imagine anything worse than that. And Dunedin residents have been warned to prepare for big rates rise. Blimey. Oh, that's no good, is it? Poor old Dunedin. But if I want to read that story, I've got to pay pay for it. So we won't be doing that. And uh, so that is that there. And um, so happy jigsaw racing is at the Games. Jigsaw racing? Really? Uh, No, jigsaw has proven too big for Dunedin puzzler Donna Louise Gregg. Uh, She will share her passion with the Masters Games next week. Didn't know they did that. They do. Service may be cut hours without funds boost, according to a manager. Dunedin's Urgent Doctors and Accident Centre is warning of significant cuts to its services unless it's given a swift bit of funding. It's all happened since the COVID pandemic, hasn't it? All this funding nonsense just getting you used to the idea of queuing, you know, not having good services, You know, getting us used to living like Venezuela. Venezuela used to be a rock star economy until the communists took over there. We've had six years of communism here, and now we've got fascism. And they don't even realise they are fascists. We might hear from George Griffin a bit later on, just to bring you up to date with what actually collectivism is all about. Uh, so that is that, our Sky News. Who we got there? The big story's there. Lydia Thorpe accuses Penny Wong and Government uh, of uh, Complicit in Genocide. Uh, Senator Lydia Thorpe has accused the Government of being complicit in genocide, citing Penny Wong's decision to pause aid to Gaza amid allegations that the UNRWA, uh, UNRWA staff were involved in the Hamas 7th terrorist attack on Jews, where they just beheaded people cut the heads off with shovels. I say these things, it's like sort of spitting, spitting on your shirt to get your attention. I say it because that's how horrific it was. There's enough, never been anything like that since the Second World War when Hitler and the, the Nazis rounded up the Jews and exterminated them. And now here we are, 240, I think that over 250 people were taken hostage back to Gaza. Imagine that. Imagine the nightmare of that living there. And there's still people there. And uh, I think it was about 1,200, over 1,200 people were just slaughtered, some of them in their beds, you know, around the garden, Just these these terrorists that have come in. Iranian-backed, apparently. And uh, so what else have we got here? Um, A former army chief urges government to adopt lethal drones. The former chief has delivered a fiery demand to the government to invest in lethal drone defence capabilities to ensure that the ADF, that's the Australian Defence Force, is prepared for the reality of modern warfare. A liar in the lodge cash unleashes... Uh, uh, on Prime Minister over tax, uh, the tax backflip. Liberal Senator Michaela Cash has blown up over Labor's chain, cha- changes to the stage three tax cuts, uh, pointing the finger at the Prime Minister for lying to Australians during an animated interview on Sky News. And I think I've got that interview. Should we? I'm pretty sure I have. And we've got Adriana, her name is Megaros. She's reporting, and we do.
5: Here we are. Take it live to Peter Dutton in Perth now holding a news conference. Well,
12: we'll make an announcement uh, in due course, but we're worried about a huge black hole in Labor's costings. Uh, We're worried about the fact that the tax cuts under Mr Albanese, which was a massive broken promise, will result in 510,000 Western Australians facing a tax increase. Let's be very clear about this. People, half a million of whom here in WA alone, are going to face higher taxes, which means that they're going to spend less money at restaurants. going to spend less money at tourist destinations, going to spend less money in shops, and that has a knock-on effect right across the WA economy. So I think the Prime Minister, after having promised it on 100 occasions, we now need to test his credibility in relation to negative gearing uh, and tax on the family home, because the Prime Minister, interestingly, uh, and if you look at the Treasurer's words in relation to the question he was asked about negative gearing. He uses a very cute form of words, as the Prime Minister did in Parliament, which I think gives rise to more questions than answers. And I don't think that Australians want the Bill Shorten-style attacks on negative gearing, because many people uh, use negative gearing to provide support for their retirement, uh, to provide an additional income, and it provides a home to somebody who can't afford to buy that home. So Labor's in favour of unions and super funds, owning homes and renting them out and no cap on that but they're not in favour of Australians investing their hard-earned money to provide support to the housing market. So uh, I think there is a lot to to play out in relation to this debate and I think Australians have been staggered by the fact that their Prime Minister looked them in the eye uh, and bluntly lied to them. Well, we'll we'll make an announcement when we do.
17: Sorry,
12: my second. Well, we'll have uh, we'll have an announcement uh, in due course. I-, I wasn't planning on making an announcement uh, this week, in-, in any case. So, uh, we've got um, a lot of work that we've done uh, just to look at the uh, the forward estimates, numbers, the uh, the medium term, and uh, into the out years as well. Uh, question marks about whether Labor's policy is properly costed. Question marks about whether. Uh, it's inflationary. Uh, we know that the Prime Minister del- deliberately omitted from his speech the fact that $28 billion more in tax will be paid. Uh, so we're, we're weighing all of that up and we'll make an announcement in due course. the review about how the play out? Well, look, I've seen the reports in, uh, by Phil Currie today, and uh, I think the Prime Minister has panicked. I think it's obvious when you look at the design of the Stage 3 tax cut, Broken Promise, uh, what he's replaced it with, it's squarely designed to try and shore up their numbers in Dunkley. It's, that's as plain as day. And the Prime Minister told further lies at the National Press Club the other day when it said it had nothing to do with Dunkley. He's worried about his leadership. You've got Bill Shorten there who's biting at the bit, who I can tell you, his aspiration in life uh, is not to be a Cabinet Minister in the Albanese government. Let's be very frank about that. Uh, and I think there's a dynamic playing out here in the Labor Party caucus at the moment which is why you're seeing this next stage of tax changes around negative gearing and the family home. The Prime Minister doesn't have a mandate for any of it. And for Australians who have invested in good faith or are saving up to buy a house or to invest in property, uh, the uncertainty that they're creating at the moment is unforgivable. But it's what Labor always does. They can't manage the economy. And I think the Prime Minister has a lot of questions to answer because I just don't believe... Australians can trust him anymore. All right. Just on public UP yeah. reports that uh P and is in
18: early talks with China on a potential security and policing deal? What do
12: you mean? By that? Well when when we were in government, uh, we put record funding into the region uh, and including into P and G because we are a trusted long-term friend. Uh we've gone through war uh on in many dark days where uh, those troops from Australia, from uh, the US uh, and elsewhere in our region uh, at the time of the Second World War, worked very closely uh, with the amazing troops uh, from PNG. Uh, Kokoda is one of those battles where uh, every young Australian child is, uh, is taught the detail of what happened there and uh, and the work of the Australian soldiers and the PNG soldiers together. Uh, so we've got that history with PNG and that should be the underpinning for the continuing trust, and uh, I welcome uh, Prime Minister Marape's visit to Australia. Uh, He's always a welcome friend whenever he comes, and we will support the government uh, in whatever actions they're taking uh, to make sure that the relationship is consolidated, because as the Prime Minister points out, we're living in the most precarious period since the Second World War, uh, and we should be very mindful of that, we should be uh, speaking uh, with a common voice, and we are. And we'll stand with the government uh, in support of their programs, uh, which will further consolidate the relationship with PNG. Thank you very much. Thank you.
9: There we are, that's Peter Dutton, and uh, you can find that story over at uh, au. Let's move over to Radio New Zealand now, and we'll take a look at the latest news bulletin. We'll have a listen to that. It's 26 minutes past six. You're at The World at Five with me, Grant Edwards. And uh, let's, yeah, let's have a listen to the six o'clock report now. We'll do that, and RNZ I'll be back.
19: News at six o'clock. Kia ora, good morning. I'm Nicola Wright. Labour's accusing the government of breaking a promise by pushing back a time frame to deliver 500 new police officers. National and New Zealand First's coalition agreement committed to training no fewer than 500 new frontline police within the first two years of government. After receiving advice on the difficulties of filling existing recruitment blocks, being told that Australians are in New Zealand to recruit officers and that senior officers are coming up to retirement, the police minister is now saying it will take three years. Labour's police spokesperson Ginny Anderson says the minister should have known better.
13: Mark Mitchell has had a lot of experiences as a serving police officer. He knows this area very well. I find it difficult to believe that it took him coming into government to figure out the challenges with recruitment. Uh, This is a clear broken promise.
19: Ginny Anderson says National's already walking away from one of its key coalition agreements. A former Auckland prisoner was shouted at by his work and income case manager and told to shut up when he asked for housing support. The Ministry of Social Development has since apologised to the man and says it's working with him to solve his housing needs. Sajay Singh has been living in his vehicle since moving out of a boarding house that Wins was paying for but where he didn't feel safe. He recorded a phone call with his case manager this month in which he's told not to be fussy, to shut up and to go rob a bank. Mr Singh says he turned his life around in prison and the way he was treated by the case manager is degrading. Building control officers in Christchurch have caught a compliance manager at a private firm forging fire safety certificates. The 51-year-old man was trying to dupe the City Council into issuing warrants of fitness for several buildings. He was sentenced last week to nine months home detention on four charges spanning two years up to mid-2022. Police say the offending directly affected public safety. The identity of a retired building consultant, John McGowan, was misused and he says the forgeries covered very important fire safety systems. The man's employer says it didn't know what he was doing and it has strengthened its oversight systems. Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has reiterated that his country will not withdraw its troops from Gaza or free thousands of Palestinian prisoners dampening hopes of a new ceasefire deal. The Hamas political leader Ismail Haniyeh says his group is studying a proposed deal and will head back to Cairo for discussions. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports.
11: Expectations have been rising of a possible new truce in Gaza after talks between mediating countries in Paris. The framework of the deal is a pause in fighting for up to six weeks, with the release of a number of hostages still held in Gaza in exchange for thousands of Palestinians jailed in Israel. But the Israeli Prime Minister has poured cold water on this. Mr Netanyahu may be mindful of a latest threat from his far-right National Security Minister, Itamar ben gvir to bring down the government if what he's called a reckless deal is agreed.
19: The Foreign Affairs and Defence Ministers will travel to Melbourne today to attend a joint meeting with their Australian counterparts. Winston Peters and Judith Collins will also hold separate discussions with Penny Wong and Richard Marle. Ms Collins says Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas conflicts are on the agenda, as well as further discussion about joining the non-nuclear part, or Pillar 2, of the AUKUS Security Alliance. The AUKUS partners themselves are working through now what Pillar 2 might mean for them as well. So that's why it's very important that we're at least um, open to listening to what they have to say and whether or not we can be part of that. Pillar 2 is about sharing technology, and Judith Collins says it offers the chance for more cooperation between the Alliance members. The climate change minister says the government is still considering widening the emissions trading scheme, so it covers wetlands, including drained peat bogs. Up to 7% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions come from peatlands, which are just 1% of the land area. Drained peat bogs are used for dairy farming, mainly in Waikato and Southland. The Cabinet was last year shown calculations showing emissions are about twice what was previously calculated. The Climate Change Minister Simon Watts says he's waiting for advice on the topic. The International Monetary Fund says the global economy is on course for stronger than expected recovery this year and next. In its latest World Economic Outlook update, the IMF predicts global growth of 3.1% this year and slightly higher growth in 2025. It says inflation is declining faster than expected because many supply chain problems caused by the pandemic have been resolved. That's the news. Thank you very much for that. And Nicola, you are with Morning Report. Coming up, we're going to.
9: Oh, it <clears throat> caught me off guard there, but didn't they? Yes, I thought it was a bit longer than it was. Now, we've, yeah, they're looking at that RNZ story there. She was talking about the Foreign Affairs Minister, Winston Peters, Defence Minister Judith Collins. They're going to meet the Australian counterparts. That's coming up. Foreign Affairs Minister and Defence Minister, they will hold a joint meeting with the Australian counterparts, and that's been indicated by the Prime Minister on his trip. There last year. Uh, Prime uh, Winston Peters and Judith Collins are going to travel to Melbourne on Wednesday. That's today for the inaugural Australia and New Zealand Foreign and Defence Ministers meeting. Although Defence and Foreign Affairs Ministers regularly meet, uh, meet their counterparts, the government said that this type of joint meeting was the first of its kind. Uh, it would follow them to develop shared objectives and approaches to the interconnected areas of foreign policy, security and defence. They plan to discuss international issues, including the AUKUS and the Russia-Ukraine Situation and also also the Israeli Hamas conflict and the Houthi attacks on the in the Red Sea. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has indicated on his visit to Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in December, in December, that the two leaders were keen for their defence and foreign minister uh, foreign affairs ministers to hold joint meetings to ensure responses and uh, are aligned and coordinated and mutually supported. He said, "We will defend and advance the international rules-based order." That's Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister. In a statement on Wednesday, Collins said the meetings were a chance to align the strength response, uh, strengthen responses rather, align and, re- and strengthen uh, the international developments, particularly those in the Pacific and wider Indo Pacific region. She said Australia is our only formal ally, and it's in our mutual interest to work together and support. A stable, secure region. We're stronger and more effective together. Peter said that they would be identifying avenues through which to deepen our cooperation. In these increasing complex and challenging times we need to prioritise our relationships with partners who know us and share our values. We should do that when we're looking at immigration. We should get people that you know share our values, don't you think? <laughs> uh, in that respect, says Peters, there's no country more important to New Zealand than Australia and it will be a face-to-face meeting between Peters and Australian counterpart Penny Wong and the second between Collins and her counterpart Richard Mayles, who was also the Australian Deputy Prime Minister. Peters and Collins will also hold separate bilateral discussions with their Australian counterparts, and they are set to return to New Zealand on fri- Friday the 1st, and you can find a little bit out about that if you go to X and uh, follow Judith Collins. She said, it's great to have our first meeting with the Australian Deputy Prime Minister and the Minister of Defence, Richard Miles, uh, The relationship with our only ally, that's what she says, which is what is in the news item. And uh, there they are together, nice little photograph. I like I like Judith Collins, I think she's lovely. She was in partnership with a good friend of mine who's now living over in, um, where is he? He's in Monaco, he's a restaurateur, his name's Domenico, fantastic guy, known him for years. He was He's had restaurants all over Auckland, the Italian job, had them out at... St. Heliers, he had one on Jervois Road, and uh, he was in partnership with her. He said she was a great partner. That is Judith Collins. Now, things are sort of going on the blink here a bit. I'm trying to do a refresh, but it's not happening. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Now, we are, uh, so there's the news there. Uh, that's um, Radio New Zealand News. We're at News Hub at the moment. And uh, New Zealand 4, we had that one, didn't we? New Zealand falls in the corruption rankings. I don't think we're very good. We're behind Finland and in, in Denmark, I think. A Wellington City Council, they're urging a pause in the cycleways to fix the leaky pipes. They've got 3,050 leaky pipes, and then something needs to be done about it. Now, a consistent risk if Kiwis are urged not to fish from the deadly Papa Nui Point after a man goes missing. Uh, this is Waikato News. It's not so good. We'll look at that. Let's have a look at that. All right. 25 minutes to 7. Uh, Department of Conservation, they are urging people not to fish from, point, uh, from the Waikato's Papa Nui Point. After the man went missing, uh, yeah, uh, the Coast Guard spotter plane. What have they done? i get rid of that video. A uh, Coast Guard spotter plane has been searching for a man since yesterday around rocks on Waikato's west coast. They say that they continue to strongly urge people not to fish from the spot due to the consistent risk of slippery rocks and surging seas. Uh, that's uh, that's what the Department of Conservation spokesperson told News Hub. The fishing spot near Raglan has claimed the lives of at least 24 people since 1980, including 15 rock rockfishers. The popular location is beautiful, but also ragged and incredibly dangerous. It's statistically one of New Zealand's worst kill zones, and yet still so accessible. More than 20 people have lost their lives fishing there. It is prone to rogue waves and help it along its way. Uh, wear a life jacket when you go fishing, if you're on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> you get marooned. What about those guys who got marooned on the rock the other day? It was a few of them had to be airlifted off. Uh, oh, they love it. They love doing uh, rescues. But anyway, they were they were okay. Now, when asked by News Hub how we can cut off access, well, see, what do you want to cut off access for? People should be allowed to go and risk their own lives if they want to. Of course they can. So oh, I just don't like all these rules and regulations. Someone gets killed on the beach, car flips over, which happens from time to time. Someone's killed and they want to shut the beach. The Maoris want to do a rahui or whatever it is, put something over the beach. And, and the councils want to shut it. It's all designed by the globalists to stop your freedom, freedom of movement, which is we, we have freedom of movement apparently under the Bill of Rights. But, you know, they run, ride roughshod over that. They just don't want you having freedom. They want to get you used to the idea of them controlling what you do, where you go and what you put in your mouth. They actually want to force you to actually have to take medical, which is in the Bill of Rights, says you can't force anyone to take any medical treatment, and yet they did that with COVID, the jab, didn't they? They forced us, either we got it, and then they turned around and said it wasn't mandatory. What a flippin' lie. I don't know how they they can stand, they can't even lie straight in bed. They're they're so crooked. Crooked as a dog's hind leg, and uh, lie like a Persian rug, is my old. Mum used to say <laughs> she was good. All right, so that's that one there. So don't go, just be careful. But, you know, don't go stopping people from fishing on rocks. You've got no business. This is out. We, we decide whether we want to take a risk or not. And, you know, if people are silly, you know, it's terrible that they, that, you know, that they might get washed off the rocks and they might die. But on the other hand, you know, strengthens the gene pool, doesn't it? You don't want too many stupid people. If you do too much for people, they become silly. And what about that grandfather there? He's clever. Now, I've got him somewhere. This is how to raise children. Have a listen. We'll have that in a minute, but we better play our little bit for Sky News because we do take Sky News. 26 minutes away from 7.
11: Good morning. The Australian Federal Court will bring down its judgement. Well, judgment. it
10: has been a very ugly day on world financial markets. Quite amazing, isn't it? I mean, you know it was a bad day. In
8: essence, Seven was the author of its own misfortune. It was
14: just an extraordinary judgement.
12: They've lost in relation to every cause of action. I need to interrupt you because we have some breaking news that uh, Steve Brax, the Victorian Premier, is apparently set to resign. There
8: are some rumours certainly doing the corridors. To me, it is the right time to step down. The
10: Australian dollars had
18: its biggest plunge in a year. Yeah, it's been a huge morning of breaking news. Do you think you're will be going to appeal?
12: Uh, we felt disappointed. It is a
18: bloodbath on the market, isn't
6: it? What a
12: day and what a... We will defend ourselves. Ferrari say that they're outraged that rivals McLaren have been cleared of any wrongdoing. The Bears
11: are out in full force savaging everything in their path. And I'll
16: resign from the Ministry and from Parliament.
11: Surprise, surprise. Who would have thought it? One thing's for sure, you can never expect
12: anything in this job. I understand uh, what he would have gone through.
11: There's some breaking news now and the Commonwealth Director of Public policy
12: I accept that there will on occasions be mistakes.
14: Oh, a a a We're
18: waiting for the statement from Immigration Minister Kevin Andrews. He
12: will be released into residential detention. This is a highly embarrassing back
14: $41 billion has been wiped off the value of the share market. Right, it's been quite a remarkable session before. There's been
10: America. a collision on a massive scale in Tokyo Bay, Japan, with a great us.
3: People
20: don't know how to raise children. But my kid came to me and he said, Daddy... The wheel came off my toy car and he gave it to me. And I said, So it did. And I threw it in the garbage. And I went back to my magazine. And then I washed that lower lip card off. Then he saw it. Coming. I said, What's the matter? He said, You throw it in away. I said, I'll get your baby toys where the wheels don't come off. He said, Well maybe I can fix it. So I gave it all again. And he's sitting on the couch and he gets it together. In just a minute or two, gets it together. Then you pick mom. How did you do that? It's wonderful. He says, I'm not that little. Mm-hmm. And, but how did you do it? See the hole in the wheel, yes. See the piece of iron sticking up? I put the hole in and I pushed on it. I said, that's wonderful. But if you say, here, let daddy do it. Let mommy do it. You produce a blob. You know what that means? <laughs> You solve all your
9: kids' problems. That's right. And, you know, if you're, you're trying to solve everybody's problem by shutting beaches, stopping people from fishing on rocks, all that sort of nonsense, if they get washed off the rock, they haven't got a life jacket on, if they go, if they go out there they don't look at the tides, you know, these things happen. These things happen. People do stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you're going to stop the rest of us doing a bit of rock fishing if we want to. Plenty of people do that, and they do it safely. And just because we've had people since 1980, it's only 20. That's not very many, is it? Think how many people the the government murdered murdered with their vax, vax murderers. They say that it could be as much as $10,000 according to the data that's come out, recent data from the Ministry of Health whistleblower, who was on the Steve Kirsch. Uh, He's been on TNT. He's been on Alex Jones. He's been all over the world. The whole world knows about it, but our media is silent on it. That's what, They're quiet. That's why I get on the blower. That's why I get on the radio, to tell you what the heck's going on. That's why you need to be at counterspinmedia.com. Counterspinmedia.com, where you're going to have people like Samantha Edwards reports. She's going to, she's going to tell you what's really happening. Liz Gunn over at Free New Zealand, there. That's the party that we all we should have voted for. We all went silly, didn't we, and started to think, oh, Winston's going to get rid of the communists for us. And he was singing all this. All the, he was singing the right tune, wasn't he? You know, it's going to be an inquiry into the vax, this, that, and the other. It's just all bullshit. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No one's going to be held responsible. He's responsible. He's actually he is. He he's a former politician back then, and he was saying we should all get jabbed, so that we could all come out of lockdown. It's just terrible. He wrote it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Now I've got a I've got a screenshot of what he wrote, and he hasn't apologised to us for that. You know, I just—it's—it's uh, it's unbelievable. Seventeen minutes away from seven, and uh, let's go to find out what's happening with the Israelis.
15: There are Israelis that were captured on October seventh, and they were taken as captives, and they were held in homes of United Nation workers, of doctors. They were held in, in under the ground. They were—they were abused and tortured they were starved some of the Asians that were there from from the Philippines they ate toilet paper that they they had to put water on that's what they ate ladies and gentlemen if you want this war to end
9: surrender and give us our kidnapped people and it will end that's right. And these flipping Muslim terrorists there, these people living, all of them are terrorists in Gaza, The whole lot of them. They're all, they're all terrorists. The kids, are, they're, they're brainwashed from an early age. Noni Darwish, her father, was the head of the Fedayen. He was killed by the Israelis. She said it was a good thing. Because he was a terrorist, terrorist leader of Fedayen. She said, we learn in the Gaza Elementary School to hate the Jews from the river to the sea. And we're parroting it over here. We've got silly Greens people, silly leftists. Stupid shoplifting people. <laughs> they <laughs> they parrot this from the river to the sea. I don't think they know what it means, or are they evil? Are they wicked evil people that have that have infiltrated our government? I don't know. Here's a smart kid, sixteen minutes away from seven.
12: You are the most famous young man in Australia after cracking the joke that reduced the Today Show host to quivering wrecks of laughter. <laughs> So for the benefit of our viewers, what was the joke?
17: A vegan and a vegetarian are jumping off a cliff to see who hit the bottom first. Who wins?
12: I don't know. Who wins?
17: Society.
12: (laughs) It is a very, very funny joke. Obviously, vegans and vegetarians won't laugh, but they never laugh at anything because they never eat enough meat, so they're always angry.
9: Yeah, I think we've got time for a bit of music, haven't we? Here's one from Don Henley. Yeah. henley there with the boys of summer 11 minutes away from seven you're with the world at one uh, no the world at five is it oh i can't remember well let's pl- uh.
0: you're listening to grant edwards 88.1 fm the wireless the world at five
9: now do you remember when christopher luxon was talking about the um, going to cut the benefits he was on the morning report this is this is off samantha edwards reports this is a little clip from that. Just to remind you of our Prime Minister, that he is a collectivist, and we'll hear from G. Edward Griffin in a moment as well. But, but do time. you
19: support cutting benefits to solar parents who don't vaccinate their children?
9: Yes, I do. Why? Um, because it's about a notion of rights and responsibilities. If you want to be part of New Zealand in civil society, you have certain inalienable rights, but you also have responsibilities to actually, for the collective... For and- the what? For the collective? He's a collectivist, and we're going to find out what that means. Let's hear that again. For the collective... And- the collective there is no such thing as a collective. We're all individuals, Chris. You realise that? You're believing in nonsense. You haven't looked into it deeply enough. Because I don't think you're a very deep thinker. I think you're just a, someone that wants to be a, a politician. You see, the people from New Zealand loyal, they don't want to be politicians. They just want to serve their country. They want to be loyal to us. That's why we vote NZ loyal. That's why about 30,000 of us that had the brains enough to not vote for Winston Peters and put our vote towards Liz Gunn's New Zealand Loyal Party and the 33 other incredible people that don't want to be politicians. You don't want. We don't want politicians. We want people that love New Zealand.
19: Why just target solo parents and probably solo mums? Really, if we're talking about it, should that be extended? Should it? Should it be extended to cutting working for families benefits?
1: Yeah, it should. Yeah, it should.
9: Now, he says he's a collectivist, right? Well, he, he basically says we're doing it for the good of the collective. Let's find out. Let's, let's see what that's really all about. Here's G. Edward Griffin. He's been preaching this for 50 years.
1: It's not easy to define the word collectivism in a few sentences because there are so many aspects to it. But it is easy enough to recognize a few of the major aspects, and you'll recognize it. One of the major aspects of collectivism is that it's based on the principle that the individual must be sacrificed if necessary for the greater good of the greater number you'll find that under all forms of collectivism whether it be nazism communism fascism socialism or neoconism or whatever you want to do all of these forms of collectivism have that fundamental uh philosophy or ideology beneath it
9: and they actually you know what else they did they'll they'll actually uh sacrifice your job as well for the good of the collective in other words if you don't take the jab you, you don't have a job, Oh, there's a rabbit, Oh, it's a big one, and I'll be back in a minute.
1: Now, that sounds pretty good to many people. It sounded good to me when I was in school and learning about the greater good of the greater number. After all, uh, we've been taught that we live in a democracy, and therefore the majority should rule, and all of these things which sound very good if you don't probe too deeply. And so many people think that that's a good concept, but it's a terrible concept when you, when you follow it to its roots. Because, you see, there's no such thing as a group. A group doesn't really exist. It's, it's all in the mind. Uh, the, the word group is an abstraction. It, it symbolizes in our minds the concept of many individuals. But group does not exist by itself. You cannot touch a group. You can touch individuals only. It's similar to the concept of the word forest. You can look at a forest, you say, well, I'm looking at a forest, but you're not. You're looking at trees. They're only trees, and so the word forest is this abstraction for the concept of many trees. And the same thing is true in social structures. The word group is a very deceptive word. We think that the group somehow has rights. Well, since there is no such thing as a group, we're really dealing with the concept of of many individuals having somehow more rights than, uh, than a smaller group of individuals and so uh, that really if you follow it all the way to its core is a question of mathematics. Uh, the collective is, is based on the substance uh, that uh, three people um, really have the right to tell two people what to do regardless because there's three against two and once you boil it down to the issue of mathematics it falls apart because um, Human rights are not based on mathematics. Uh, I know we don't have time for a lot of this but something just occurred to me this morning when I was thinking about this concept uh, they say that the uh, the greater good of the greater number is is accomplished by giving the larger number the right to dictate to the smaller number but when you think it through it's just the opposite. Let's suppose that you had uh, uh, four different elements in society. You had a group called uh, red, a group called green, a group that's blue, and then a smaller group that are purple. The red, green, and blue represent different classes or groups of society, and the purple ones are the administrators, the government officials, the police, the courts, and all of the bureaucrats and the politicians that are going to regulate this great society. So you say, well, a group... uh, The first two groups, red and green, uh, decide to take all the property away from blue, and that's certainly for the greatest good of the greater number, because red and green is a greater number than blue. So, if that's your point, then finally, the greater good of society has been served in that uh, equation. But now, the next time around, uh, green and blue decide to take away the property of red, and you say, well, in that instance, also, the greater good of the greater number has been served. And then finally, to round it out, you get uh, uh, red, what did they do they red and green, green and blue. Well, blue and red then get together and take away the property of green. And here again, uh, the greater good of the greater number has been served. But when you stand back and look at the whole process, uh, all of the groups have been plundered by the others. And you might say, well, it all evens out, doesn't it? No, it doesn't, because there's a fourth group, the purple and every time there's a plundering action going on the purple wind up with a pretty good share of the action just for their administrative services and so when you follow it all the way through at the end of this process all of society has been damaged by this greater good for the greater number concept You see the only greater good for the greater number really comes from the concept of individualism when you deny the majority to, to take away the rights or the property of the minority. If you hold up the individual as the supreme element in society instead of the group, under that philosophy, under that ideology, now you do actually have the greatest good for the greatest number. If
3: you change Take a chance, take a chance. I'm the first in line Honey, I'm a still chance, free Take, take a, chance a chance on me chance, chance, If you need me, chance, let me know I'm Gonna be around If you got your no place to go When you're feeling down If you're all up.
0: national news
6: the episodes at tnt now tnt radio news
7: for tnt this is james o'neill a new york times report citing a classified israeli government document has alleged the involvement of several United Nations Palestinian refugee agency, UNRWA, or UNRWA, employees in the kidnapping of Israelis and assistance to Hamas during the attack on October 7th. The report claims that out of the 12 UNRWA employees implicated, seven were teachers, two were employed in other capacities at UNRWA schools, and three others held positions as a clerk, social worker, and storeroom manager. It's alleged that the ten of these individuals were members of Hamas, which is recognized as a legally elected government in Gaza, but is classified as a terrorist group by Israel, and one was reportedly affiliated with Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Specific allegations include a school counselor from Khan Yunus collaborating with his son in the kidnapping of an Israeli woman, and a social worker from Nuzerat assisting in the removal of a deceased Israeli soldier's body back to Gaza, as well as distributing vehicles and ammunition before the attack. Additionally, three men allegedly received text messages on October 7th, directing them to meeting points, with one being ordered to bring rocket-propelled grenades. The report also mentions that two U.S. officials, while aware of these Israeli claims, have not confirmed the details. Following these allegations, the United States was the first to halt funding to UNRWA, with Canada and several other countries following suit. A Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court judge has ruled that former President Donald Trump will remain on the state's primary election ballot. This decision came after the State Ballot Law Commission previously dismissed a challenge against Trump's eligibility. The challenge was based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits individuals from holding federal office if they previously sworn to support the Constitution but then participated in insurrection or rebellion. Supreme Judicial Court Justice Frank Gaziano, appointed by former Governor Charlie Baker, upheld the commission's decision. In his ruling on Monday, Justice Gaziano stated that the challenge was premature since Trump has not yet been officially nominated as the GOP candidate. The challengers had filed an emergency petition with the state's high court on January 23rd, seeking a ruling on Trump's eligibility or the commission's jurisdiction in this matter. Justice Gaziano's decision also acknowledges that the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear a related case from Colorado soon. This upcoming case involves Colorado state officials barring Trump from the primary ballot, and the Supreme Court's ruling could have implications on Trump's eligibility to hold office. President Joe Biden is contemplating various response measures to a drone strike attributed to an Iran-backed terrorist group that resulted in the deaths of three U.S. Army reservists and injured 40 others in Jordan on January 28th. White House National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby confirmed that President Biden has convened with his National Security Advisors twice since the incident. However, Kirby did not verify if a specific retaliatory action has been decided upon. Kirby emphasized the necessity of a response to the attack, stating it requires a response, make no mistake about that. He added that the President is considering a range of options and will determine the most appropriate response. Kirby stressed the need to halt such attacks. While the Biden administration consistently holds Iran accountable for the attack, Kirby noted that the investigation to identify the specific group responsible is still ongoing. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. In the Trump administration,
2: the Biden administration reversed our policy. We stopped funding these guys, and the, the Biden administration restored it, and you can precisely see the result. These these are not inevitabilities, as the Biden administration would suggest to you. What happened on October 7th, what happened to our soldiers in Jordan this past week, these, these are not inevitable things. When America fails to do the basic idea, fails to execute the basic idea of building a strong military, drawing red lines, and then defending them, this is exactly what happens, Laura.
7: We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James. And uh, we've got
9: uh, an accidents in and Taranaki will tell you about that in a moment.
5: The prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth.
9: Freedom of the press is about your right to
5: know.
14: Sheer athleticism.
0: It's about your right to be informed.
14: The Today, no.
0: there are real threats to press freedom.
17: Residential areas.
0: And your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important That's to you. Question. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org
9: All right, it's five minutes past seven. Good morning to you, and emergency services have rushed to a major highway on, in Taranaki, on the, this morning that is just uh, around about six o 'clock uh, police said two vehicle the two vehicle crash occurred at the intersection of Mountain Road and Boylan Road, State Highway three, in the small Taranaki town of Eltham at around ten to five this morning. Police spokesman said the initial indications suggest there are serious injuries. traffic management is in place at the scene, and motorists are advised to avoid the area and uh, use alternative routes, according to the spokesman. Uh, New Zealand Transport warned road users to expect delays in the area. I'll be back in a minute, with uh, back in a jiffy with some weather, but here's Benjamin Netanyahu. This is what he's saying is going on.
0: Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend itself, The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather.
9: All right, it's uh, seven minutes past seven. Very good morning to you. Hope your morning's going well. Let's look at the weather. We'll also... Go over to weatherwatch.co.nz and we'll have a look and see how, what um, Philip Duncan is tell us, telling us. Uh, Tauranga, the highest temperature today. These are the extremes, 20.3 in Tauranga. Tiar now 6.5. Castle Point, it's up just a couple of notches there. 50 kilometres of wind through Castle Point. Gisman has 1.4 millimetres of rain. Temperatures across the main centre, Stewart Island, 12 degrees. Chatham Island, 17. Invercargill's on 10 at the moment. Dunedin, 14. Timaru, 12. Christchurch 15 degrees, Blenheim's on 10. Queenstown's dropped a notch to 11 degrees. France Joseph on the west coast there, 12 degrees. A little bit further northwest to Westport, 17 there, and Nelson has 14 degrees. In Wellington, both Masterton and Wellington are level pegging at 15 degrees this morning. Palmerston north, 17 degrees. New Plymouth next to Mount Egmont, 19. Napier has 16 degrees. Tarpo and Rotorua on 19 and 17 degrees from Rotorua. Gisborne's on 18, of course Tauranga up 20.3, Hamilton 16, Auckland and Whangarei are both on 19 degrees, and Kaitaia, you've got a wonderful 20 degrees this morning, and it looks like it's going to be a nice day in Northland and Taranaki, also Taupo, including the Bay of Plenty, mainly fine weather, isolated showers possible during the afternoon and evenings, but I think Northland's going to be OK. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, often cloudy with showers clearing this evening, Whanganui to happy. also Wellington and Wairarapa, a few showers for the Wellington and Wairarapa area clearing up this afternoon, Elsewhere, mainly fine with a few areas of morning cloud. Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, mainly fine for you today. Cloud increasing this evening with a shower possible north of Hokitika. For Canterbury, Otago, fine with cloudy periods, isolated showers in the evening. The showers about Otago and inland Canterbury. For the Southland area and also Fiordland, mainly fine weather at first, but rain developing this evening. And the Chathams, you've got periods of rain. The extended forecast for Thursday in the North Island, mostly fine weather. A few afternoon showers in the east, late showers for Taranaki and Kapiti. Uh, South Island tomorrow, scattered showers spreading north uh, throughout the day and late rain for Fiordland. On Friday, expect rain spread, spreading up the South Island to the lower North Island. showers farther north about the North Island, but remaining fine towards Gisborne and Hawke's Bay. Gale force northwesterly winds through Cook Strait as well. You can expect a bumpy ride, a rolly ride all the way down to Picton. In Gisborne, uh, uh, on Saturday, (laughs) Gisborne, or the East Cape, I suppose, that's pretty rocky, isn't it, going around there? Haven't been around there, but I've heard some horror stories. On Saturday, uh, Saturday, you can expect showers for most, uh, frequent and heavy for the western regions from Taranaki southwards easing later in the day. Gale westerly is possible about the western regions in the North Island for, um, right up to from Auckland southwards, and the extended forecast for the Chatham Islands showers with light northeasterly winds on Thursday, and then you've got rain with southwesterly change, you've got gales developing during the fri- during Friday you've got the winds turning northwesterly and becoming strong, possibly gale force as well, uh, or continuing right through Saturday. That is the weather and extended weather forecast it's 10 past 7. With
6: your help, we
9: can continue to fight for freedom,
6: reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom, and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live.
9: Oh, I'd better turn the mic on. Uh, did you hear that story of, of the RNZ that, uh, about an hour ago, I think it was? A uh, work and income case manager tells his client to go and rob a bank. <laughs> Sejar Singh, I don't know where he's from, uh, Fiji or India or somewhere, he told he was told to shut up and that he shouldn't be fussy during a call about accommodation. And yeah, that's right. Oh, well, I agree with the case manager there, but you know how they can make things sound worse than they really are. The Treaty of Waitangi Articles Principles Change, the detail, that's the detail, thats a, a, I don't know if it's a podcast or a, I'm not sure what it is, over at rnz.co.nz you'll find it. Under the Treaty of Waitangi Articles Principles Changes, to detail uh, revisiting the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi would have wide ranging effects whether we get legislative changes or not don't think we need to change it just just read the words on the page they have english words have meanings and forget about the Maori interpretation of it because that could mean anything the government pushes out police recruitment time the coalition agreement between national and new zealand first said parties would commit to training no fewer than 500 new frontline officers within the first 2 years and disguised israeli forces kill 3 militants 3 they're not militants they're they're flipping muslim terrorists let's tell tell people what they are they follow the Quran to the letter. Uh, they're, they're not backslidden ones like some of the ones we've got here, although they might not be. They might be just sort of like a cell group waiting to attack us, you know, when we're in the queue waiting for, you know, KFC or uh, McDonald's or something waiting there. And then they'll come in with their AK 47s. I don't know where they'll get them from. <laughs> or they'll stab you to death. They love knives, don't they, the Muslims? They love knives. Anyway, commandos, Israeli commandos dressed as medical workers and, and Muslim women. For an operation that witnesses, uh, what are they? Witnesses and authorities say, yeah. Well, they're good. That's what they've got to do. You don't, you don't piss about with the Israelis, boy. I will tell you what. Look what happened to all those people uh, that they came after. The uh, the SS people. They went to Argentina. The rest of the people took them back. Very clever, very skillful. What about when um, Idi Amin had these people uh, held up there? They had all these hostages over in Africa there, um, and the Israelis came and they flew on these French ships. Low flying, flew low, blow the radar. They came in. They even bought, what did they bring? With friendships and there were some other, I think, cargo planes. They had um, limousines. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That's, and um, Tebby. You want to check that one out on YouTube as well. Now, Biden, what does he say? He says that he's decided U.S. responses to Jordan attack. He's decided on that. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute. And a girl who died in Fiordland's Marion Creek. She's been named just a moment ago. Senior doctors, they are being flown flown in from Australia to work on site for one week on, one week out of four. That's a waste of money, isn't it? And the ministers to discuss the AUKUS and uh, Gaza with the Australian counterparts. They'll be doing that today. Uh, Higher inflation will be a new normal. (laughs) I love that word, don't they? The new normal uh, according to a New Zealand economist. Um, we'll have the 7 o'clock bulletin coming up at 7.30. That's the 7 o'clock bulletin from Radio New Zealand. You can find them at rnz.co.nz. And if they send me an ad, I'd be happy to, happy to promote them. We pay for it anyway. It's our, it's our state-owned uh, media, and they put it up on the internet, so I'll play it. Yeah, too right. Uh, Dunedin prepares for 10-degree population increase over the next 30 years. Dunedin has predicted uh, predicted that it needs some 6,500 new homes in the three decades to come. Seriously injured in a two-vehicle crash in Taranaki. We spoke about that earlier. Uh, radio New Zealand's Susie Ferguson, she's going to replace Kim Hill on the Saturday morning slot. And, of course, Susie Ferguson, she's been a voice of Radio New Zealand, voice of radio for many years, actually. Lovely person, over in the in the islands there in the Pacific Solomon Islands. Poll date has been set. The chief electoral officer told the state broadcaster that a tentative date for the governor general's proclamation on the twentieth of February, which means Solomon Islanders will hit the polls on April the seventeenth. And Tuvalu MP is stuck in outer islands due to bad weather. Oh, that's no good. Fiji Prime Minister Rumbuka, he's trying to assert himself by axing cabinet ministers uh, Stephen. Ratuva. And they're going to act, that's what they're going to do. And uh, in sport, Alice Robinson, good on you, love. Alice Robinson medals again at the Giant Slalom World Cup. Queenstown's Alice Robinson finishes second at the FIS, Giant Slalom World Cup in Italy. Fantastic. Black Caps keeper shakes off injury for South African series. And Rugby World Cup clock up billions of viewing hours. Really, our oh, clocks up billions of viewing hours. I wonder what that'll be on. The 2023 Rugby World Cup held in France had a 19% viewership growth from the 2019 edition, becoming the most viewed rugby event of all time, according to World Rugby. The event, held in September and October, clocked up 1.3 billion viewing hours across linear and non-linear broadcasts, a 30% growth from the last World Cup held in Europe in 2015 in England. Uh, of the total viewership, 85% came from free-to-air TV broadcasters, while streaming platforms accounted for 5% of the total viewership. World Rugby teams up with the free-to-air broadcast partners in the, most markets to showcase the best of rugby to as many fans as possible, according to World Rugby. That's what they said in a statement. Eight out of the 11 markets surveyed saw strong viewership growth from, from, since 2015, despite a general decline in linear TV globally. Internationally. No such thing as a globe. Is it? No, no, that's right. No, I believe. I believe that um, fellow from uh, John McClone. He was a um, twenty-one-year veteran U.S. Navy navigator, and he's a flat Earth. He convinced me that we we're on a flat Earth. But anyway, getting back to the story about sport, Italy had seventy percent growth in viewership compared to two thousand and fifteen edition, while the viewership in the U.S. more than doubled. Japan was the country with the third largest viewership, despite many matches kicking off late. Although the numbers marked a decrease from 2019 edition, they that they hosted themselves Japan's group stage matches against Argentina and Samoa, which kicked off at 7:45, quarter to eight, uh, in the country and clocked in 33 million view hours, viewing hours each, the highest for domestic broadcast, and Alan Kilpin. He said, I will continue to work with our broadcast partners to enhance the viewing experience, especially for new audiences, according to the CEO of Rugby, World Rugby, Alan Kilpin. That story is brought to you courtesy of rnz.co.nz, and they've stolen it from Reuters. All right, what other news? Let's go over to AP, um, I think, what are they, what's AP now? AP News, you'll find them, apnews.com, Associated Press. Israeli military says it destroyed a cemetery and a mosque in Gaza to root out Hamas Muslim terrorists. The network, Israeli moves forward in the ground and air campaign in Gaza. Uh, the military's destruction of holy sites has drawn staunch criticism from the Arabs. Uh, and the rights groups as well, the leftist, they, they're not rights groups, they're leftist groups, <laughs> and they're not right, but they are, you know, human rights, so-called, but they don't really, no, it's not really. I mean, you dig down deep, it's they, they want to take away your human rights and take away your property as well. 17 minutes past seven. So they're all upset about the uh, this assault on our cultural heritage. Well, Gaza belongs to the Jews. If you read your Bible, if you read Ezekiel 36, if you actually read the Bible and believe the words on the page, you'd know that it actually belongs to the Jews. Doesn't belong to the Arabs. They've got Arabia now. Other news: A Ukraine's strike on target inside Russia hurt Putin's effort to show that war isn't hitting home. Brazil faced calls from reparations wrangles with its painful legacy of slavery. Apparently, yeah. Well, the Muslims are good at slavery too. They used to capture the African slaves and then they'd sell them to the British and the Americans and whoever else needed them. And then you also had the Arabs themselves. They were in the Barbary Coast. They were actually. Um, turning people that are on their way to America, from you know from Europe to America, uh, they were capturing those ships and turning those people into slaves as well. So the slavery's been around. Of course, slavery in the Bible, people like to say the, Bi- the Bible condones slavery, it certainly doesn't. Man stealing? No, def- definitely not. And people confuse an indentured servant, which we have when you go and join the military, you know, in New Zealand and in Australia and also in Canada and the United States. If you're an indentured servant, they've got to train you and as a result, you've got to stick with them and you know, do it two or three years after they've fully trained you if they're going to invest in you. That's called indentured servitude. And that's what happened in a lot of a lot of the stories we hear in the Old Testament. Just indentured servitude, nothing more, nothing less. Not man-stealing, that's that's against the, the Bible. Uh, Israeli military, now what have they done? Now, so, now we'll look at the region, so we'll go to Europe first of all. We're at apnews.com, I think, yes. And uh, France's government, they have announced new measures to calm the farmers, They've got, they're protesting at the moment and they've got barricades up that's squeezing Paris. Europe's economic plan drags on with zero growth at the end of the last year. And the Euro- European Union, they move towards using profits from frozen Russian assets to help Ukraine, but very slowly. Spain's lawmakers are to, to vote on a hugely diverse amnesty law for uh, Catalan, Catalan separatists. I'm not sure who they are. Former Over to Asia now and former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan. He gets 10 years prison sentence just so that he can't be involved in the election. Great cricketer. I heard him on the Leighton Smith show once back in the 80s and 90s. I don't know, all the decades get run into one. I can't remember. But I heard him then. He was lovely, lovely man, former Prime Minister and a fantastic quick cricketer. Hong Kong begins work on its own national security law years after a similar law. Crushed dissent. Oh, they're terrible over there. They don't like you. You've got no freedom over there. Not used to. Used to when the British had it, and then they gave it back to them. Why did they do that? Uh, police in Sri Lanka, they use tear gas to disperse opposition protests against dire economic conditions. And Kishida says he's determined to break Japan's ruling party from its practice of money politics. Over to Latin America now, and Haitian judge seeks to interview widow of slain president, in the leaked arrest warrant obtained by uh, Associated Press. House uh, Republicans, they are taking key votes towards uh, impeaching Mallorca's as a border becomes 2024 campaign issue. Colombia and the National Liberation Army rebels, they have extended the ceasefire for a week as talks continue. And Indonesian police arrest three Mexicans after a Turkish tourist is wounded in an armed robbery in Bali. That's Asia. Move Latin America. Oh, the thoughts in Bali. That's Asia, isn't it? They've got, their, they've got them on the wrong column. In the Middle East, Israeli military operation destroys the Gaza cemetery. I just talked about that before. They've um, Israel says Hamas used the site to hide the tunnel, hide hide in a tunnel, uh, and enemy drone that killed U.S. troops in Jordan was mistaken for a U.S. drone. A preliminary report suggests. And what? Is TAR 22 the military base that was attacked in Jordan where three troops, US troops, were killed? That story you can find out for yourself at apnews.com. We better move on. Saudi Arabia oil giant Aramco says it will not increase maximum daily production on state orders. That is the news. Oh, we'll go to Africa. What's happening in Africa? Will oh, I tell you what's happening in Africa? Um, millions urgently need food in Ethiopia's. Uh, Tigray region, despite the resumption of aid deliveries, and South Africa evacuates small coastal communities near Cape Town as wildfires burn out of control. Uh, An auction of Nelson Mandela's possessions is is suspended as South Africa fights to keep them. India's Navy rescues a second Iranian flagged fishing vessel hijacked by Somali pirates, and global anti-corruption efforts are faltering partly due to a decline in justice, according to a survey. Over to U.S. news now, and shock, grief and mourning for three Georgian-based U.S. soldiers killed in the Middle East drone strike. Ohio could begin nitrogen gas executions under the bill, backed by the state's Republican Attorney General. They killed that guy this week, wasn't it? What was his name? I can't remember his name. They killed him on, I think it was last week, Friday, I think it was, about 3.30 our time. Minnesota trooper accused of fatally shooting motorist Ricky Cobb, uh, Ricky Cobb II. They do that over there, don't they? Makes his first court appearance. And five suspected arrests in California desert killings in dispute over marijuana, according to the Sheriff's Office, facing scrutiny over quality control. Boeing withdraws requests for safety exemption. That is the news, the international news brought to you by AP. AP News, you can find them at
5: apnews.com.nz. Can men get pregnant?
7: Mr. Chairman,
10: yes.
5: Okay. <laughs> Define what, what a woman is.
10: Mr.
1: Chairman. Yeah. There are people who identify Women. as different genders who are capable yeah. of getting Identity. pregnant. That is my position on this. I am not going to feed more into the bigotry of that question.
5: Okay, what is this right here? The pelvis. It's the only bone in the body that's gender specific which means it's different <laughs> in boys and girls Is it? Yes, the television says job to protect the organs used for digesting and reproduction. There you are Which means
3: growing babies
9: <laughs> Yeah that's what it means. That's what it means. 24 minutes past seven, you're with The World at Five with Grant Edwards. Work and income case manager tells his client to go to go and rob a bank. Sarjay Singh, he was told to shut up and that he shouldn't be fussy during a call about accommodation. And a girl who died in Fiordland is Mar- in the Marion Creek area. Her name is Tegan Ariel Chen. Chen. She was 10. It's so sad, isn't it? So sad. Keep an eye on the kids when you're on holiday. She was on holiday with her family from South Wales, New South Wales, Australia, when she died after falling into the fast-flowing creek. Senior doctors have been flying in from Australia to work on-site, one week on, one week out of four, according to Tewata Ora, which is New Zealand Health Department. They will not discuss how much this costs, but they say the senior addiction's clinician position the Dr. Phil's is difficult f- to recruit for. A man's been rescued after being blown across Lake Taupo. It could have easily died. It's, it's a very easy place to die over there because there's no salt in the water, and salt makes you buoyant. The salt water, you, you bob around a bit better. I nearly drowned at Lake Taupo. The dinghy, we'd had a few drinks. We'd had a few drinks. Naturally, you shouldn't be doing that, too. Uh, you just had a few drinks. I think I was 20, 20 years old. And I had my boat there. I had a 24 footer and I had some mates. We were, we were doing a bit of hunting around the shores of, of Lake Taupo. Anyway, we were tied up there. I think we were tied up on, on a buoy. The owner of the buoy let us, buoy, uh, let us uh, let on, on there. Anyway, the dinghy, the painter, okay. it came loose. The painter, that's um, not the painter, not a sort of like brushing on paint. No, it's a painter. That's what holds the the, the rope. That's the line that that attaches your tender. What's a tender? A tender is uh, the little dinghy that you go to shore with. And so the painter came loose and the wind caught it. And I thought, oh, I can catch that. So I dove in after it. And, of course, the wind blew even harder, and I was swimming out there, and a flapping I got halfway to it, and it was still going further away, and then I turned around and looked at the boat, and I thought, I don't know if I can make it back. I barely made it back. I nearly drowned in Lake Tarpa in 1980, that would have been. I wasn't long married. I don't think it was before I got married. but I, I can't remember. It was after. Yeah, after I got married. Twenty, I was a young fella. They said I looked 16 when I got married. Anyway, a plane had to be flown over Lake Tarpa to help find a paddle boarder. Seven hours after he entered the water. Just come through a few moments ago. Postal workers they start talks with the New Zealand Post in an attempt to reverse job cuts. You got no show. You got two shows. <laughs> no show at all. Postal workers union will begin talks with the New Zealand Post this week to try to s- save the jobs of hundreds of posties. Postal Service is shocking at the moment anyway. Uh, Dunedin, they're preparing for a 10% population increase over the next 30 years. Apparently they need 6,500 new homes. A serious injury, uh, there's been a two-car crash in uh, Taranaki. Uh, Police and traffic management uh, are in place and the drivers are advised to avoid the area. I don't know if anyone, oh, there's been injuries, serious injuries, so they'll be airlifted to hospital, I would think. Where would they go? In Taranaki. Is there a hospital there? I don't know. People are seriously injured following this two-car crash. The crash is at the intersection of Mountain Road and Boyan Road on State Highway 3 in Altham. It was reported at 10 to 6 this morning. Initial indications suggest there are serious injuries. Police traffic management and uh, it's all in place now and motorists are advised to avoid the area and take a different route. The replacement for Kim Hill on Saturday mornings, uh, that is going to be Susie Ferguson. She's a very seasoned presenter and she will replace Hill, who's been at the job since 2002, that's 20. Uh, twenty twenty on years, isn't it? That's a long time. Two it's going to go add up. You know, twenty two coming up twenty two years. That's the morning program at RNZ. It's very good. I enjoy listening to that from time to time when I get time. Never too early to turn back, too, if you're out tramping. According to rescuers, the the warning comes after two hikers had to be rescued after twelve hours on Mount Ruapehu and the storm storm broke out. Dunedin man, he, the the he the one that bought CCTV cameras in the weeks before his death. His name is Guljit Singh. He was last seen on Saturday night and he had security concerns in the weeks prior to his death. And New Zealand transport road repair is still going to be $129 million short, cap, according to the council. Chief Executive says that post-cyclone Gabrielle, the district will require an investment to have a road network that com- the communities can rely upon. New Zealand, the third most honest country in the world apparently now, We used to be the the honest. New Zealand now ranks behind Denmark and Finland, according to Transparency International. High-profile musicians being put out on bail on family violence charges. A high-profile New Zealand musician has been arrested on nearly a dozen counts of family violence dating back to November 2022. But you have to be careful, though, because sometimes the women will make up stories. Asbestos waste spill after Kaimai Rangers crash. A motorist on State Highway 20. in the Kaimai Rangers, they're being told to turn their air conditioning off and keep the windows closed. And what I would do, turn the, turn, turn the actual air conditioning on, but put it on recycle and then bring it up onto, you know, so it's going on the windshield up there. That keeps the dust out. My good friend, Dr. Graham Sewell, his father taught us that when we were doing a three week tour with just the four of us. I think there was Graham's father. He was a farm advisory officer. His mother's a doctor. Gosh, his brother's a doctor, his brother's a vet, The very, very brainy family. And we were on a, on a trip. Oh, and his other brother's like a top musician, top, a top conductor, actually. And it was terrible because he was mowing the lawns one day and he had an accident because he was a great violinist as well. And uh, he accidentally cut his, cut his finger. I think he just cut it off, I think. But anyway, thought that would be the end of his violin career. Now he's a conductor doing extremely well. They're all doing well, the, the Sewell family. Graham's a doctor down in Auckland or up in Auckland, wherever you are in the country. Um, and why wasn't talking about that? I don't know. Why were you talking about that? Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's South Island. We were travelling the South Island. Had a wonderful time with them. What oh, the air con- yeah, this, the the father taught us that when you when you're on a dusty road, um, you put the air con. No, we didn't have air conditioning then. <laughs> Back in the old Mark IV Zodiac, I think we were in. I think he had a Mark IV. Dad had a Mark Two and a Mark Three. No, Dad had a Mark IV as well. I think later Valiant. No, Valiant. A P six or something like that. But anyway, you you put you put the um no air conditioning, but you just put the um on recycle and then put it up so that it goes over the window instead of you know blowing in your face. And that keeps the dust out. So yeah, so don't don't switch the air conditioning off, just put it on recycle, just move it across so you haven't got fresh air coming in. That was silly to tell them that, wasn't it? Just well, you ring me up if you want to know, oh two one seven three two four two three, this number. If you want to text through, if you've got any news for me, let me know. Tragedy strikes again for Auckland Zoos. Sumatran tigers a Sumatran tiger club recently a cub rather not the club is there a club no 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 it's a cub it was recently injured at the Auckland Zoo and had to be euthanized oh that's a shame and a spike in drownings under under fives in 2023 last year also saw more Aucklanders than usual lose their lives in the water Yes, well, these things happen, but that doesn't mean we're not allowed to go in the water. They'll make a new rule that you're not allowed to swim. You can guarantee <laughs> you can guarantee it these flipping collectivists well, it's for the good of the group, we will stop you swimming. There we are, it's for good of the forest. <laughs> Never mind your individual rights. No, they can fly out the window. All right, 28 minutes away from 8 o'clock, and then that's going to be my lot. Um, Kaianga Aura, I don't know what they are, I can't remember. Oh, housing. Yeah, Nelson, they're they're pushes. Aura pushes ahead of Nelson development. What's happening there? Well, I'll tell you. It's expected to provide up to 36 homes across two three-storey buildings. This is this um, smart cities, isn't it? Three-storey buildings, what do you put them in there for? No one wants to live in a high-rise building. It's not good for you anyway. You should be have your feet on the ground. How do you expect to be earth? You have to run an earth wire up to the top and... Attach it to your foot when you're lying in bed at night or something. You just, it's, you've got to get outside, get your shoes off, get those shoes that are probably really bad for you anyway. Get out on your bare feet and go out and piss on the lawn or something. You know, make yourself useful. Try, look for a lemon tree <laughs> next to the lavatory. Uh, yeah, but don't, yeah. Okay, local authorities, they're concerned about who might move in. Oh, I would be too. Gosh, yeah, flipping heck, I'll say. Um, they're expected to provide up to 36 homes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there we are, and Waimea, the community dam full of full to capacity after recent rainfall. That's good, isn't it? Waimea community dam now full. Uh, rainfall in Tasman that's filled the reservoir, which was uh, they were a bit worried about that for a while there. And members of Parliament worries a hospital rebuild will guinea pig will be will be guinea pig for privatisation. Rachel Boyak is worried the Nelson Hospital redevelopment could be used as a test case when it comes to privatising. Health infrastructure. Yeah, we don't want that. We've got to have. We've got to be in control of our own health. I don't think go go. Don't go see doctors. The worst thing you can do is go and see a doctor because they'll just over prescribe you. They they you know they do. They tell you you've got something wrong. They say we've found something. And that screening too. That mammogram. That that's a that's an absolute scam. That is make a lot of money out of that. And so are the CT scans, which they give you two hundred times. You get you're going to have one CT scan, which is going to cost you about sixteen hundred bucks, or cost the cost the government cost us. The government doesn't pay, we pay taxpayer one CT scan, the CAT scan that is equivalent to on average 200 chest x rays. So, don't have if you didn't have um, cancer. Uh, if you're going in to check to see if you had cancer, if you didn't have it before you went, you will have it after a series of CAT scans. <laughs> Stay well away. Water restrictions ease in Nelson after the weather, the current weather supply is at high levels. Higher levels than anticipated. Well, that's good, getting a bit of rain. Mochuweka, what's happening there? Lovely down there. Who needs snow when you have hops? Oh, yeah, great. Tranquil, tranquil Mochuweka um, now has traffic lights and a cinema, but still retains a certain charm, says a former uh, resident Simon Right, 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 looks like no. Oh no, we keep on going there. You can read down the bottom there. We're getting into old news, aren't we? Oh no, it's not that old. That's Radio New Zealand. What's happening over at New Zealand Herald? I'll do a refresh there. And it's 26 minutes away from eight. 26 to eight. Heartbroken volunteers quit beach after Auckland council takes away their happy place. Ah, oh, what have they done? Let's see what they've done. Uh, Chris Mariner, he's um, got this one. North Shore couple who worked for over a decade to maintain one of Auckland's most popular beaches is heartbroken after Auckland Council removed their toy library and lost and found service from Long Bay. Auckland City Council acknowledged they moved non-compliant signage but have extended their thanks to the couple and expressed a desire to find a way forward. That's nice. Janine and Philip looks like Oxyus. They live near Long Bay Regional Park. It's lovely up there. Except don't stay too long kissing your girlfriend because they'll lock the door on you, and then you'll be there all night. You'll have to walk along the beach to get out and come get the car the next day. Uh, Yeah, that's what we found anyway. (laughs) Or your boyfriend. Oh, dear. Uh, Anyway, they go and visit every morning to pick up rubbish, and what do they do? And they remove discarded items from the beach that we left there the night before lost it when we were kids uh, lost and found. no we were good we put things in the rubbish bin back then they had rubbish bins now they say you know quite often they say you know they have no rubbish bins like you go to the islands in the hurricane gulf there's no rubbish bins anymore you got to take your rubbish back with you and some people don't do that do they anyway they set up what have they done they've lost and found they set up marked with a handmade sign so let's set up a toy library for the beach toys left behind oh that's a good idea and, uh, yeah, there we are. And that's there. Uh, isn't that lovely? So, that, anyway, hopefully they can work with the council. That's Janine and Philip. Oc- uh, Oxineus, it looks like. There they go. And, yeah, that poor little four-week-old tiger, uh, Auckland Zoo cub. had to be euthanized, Pretty little thing. Cute, eh? Until they grow up and eat, eat you. Now, um, I think my time is up. Grandfather's brush with death after a frightening bee encounter. Yeah, you've got to be careful with the bees, especially when they swarm... Cherry Howey's got this story over at Newshub.co.nz. Oh, no, NZ Herald, I beg your pardon. New Zealand Herald.co.nz. We'll have the RNZ Bulletin for you as well so you get a real news report. Um, He had a a knotty noggin, a hobbled hand that was not on a a collision course and was on a collision course with two bees whom venom would unexpectedly leave Great Barrier Island grandfather Sean Point, or Pont, uh, fighting for his life, almost 100 kilometres from the nearest hospital. Yes, but we've got the Westpac helicopter. The 57-year-old was on a ride-on ride on lawnmower on his 12-hectare property near Triphena on Great Barrier Island's southwest coast on October the 4th last year with a bee from a nearby hive. Just one bee, is it? Uh, which don't belong on Pont. Oh, aren't they? Not allowed. Oh, why not? What's wrong with honey? Got stuck in his hair. Well, oh, he must be allergic. Well, all he needs is a homeopathic remedy. We'll leave that story there. Uh, all you need is a homeopathic remedy called apis. Now, what's apis? Well, apis is just the entire bee crushed. And then they take a little piece of that, crushed mush, and they, they uh, potentize it. By, they dilute it with one, one drop of that with 100 drops of water or alcohol. And then they potentize that. And there's a procedure that they travel depending on what potency you want. The more diluted and succust, don't forget the succused, because otherwise it's like drinking, the more whiskey you drink, the less drunk you get. It's not like that at all. It's called potentizing, and those things happen. And it's true, absolutely true. I'll tell you who else believes in that. Kenneth Williams. We might hear from him a little bit later. I might put him on after the eight. He's a very funny man. He's no longer with us now. Struggled with homosexuality. Um, brought up in a religious f- family. Anyway, so you get the whole b and that's that's how they make it. But you can just go down to and buy a natural farm product called apis, which is just be like cures like. Wouldn't believe it. If you get a sting, sometimes you can use the onga onga leaf. If you know if you get stung by onga onga, you can actually use that, and they call that isopathy. When you take uh, a little bit of what's bothered you, because the more poisonous the substance, the more curative the properties. That's what Hippocrates found. You know the one that they swear the 450 BC Hippocrates. Uh, He was the one that they all swear an oath to, you know, know, do no harm. Yeah, right. Oh, shut. Do no harm. I don't think so. Winston Peters and Judith Collins are going to make history with an Australian trip. That's today. Wooten Bassett makes mark at Caracas. Now, I I did tell you I was going to come back to that story and tell you what that was all about. That's bloodstock. The first uh, Wooten Bassett yearlings to be sold in New Zealand have made big impressions at Caracas this week headed by a well-related uh, filly that fetched $800,000 on Tuesday morning. Best known for our part in the world as the sire of multiple Group 1 winners and star Cambridge stud shuttle stallion, Al-Mazon, Al-Manzon. Wooten Base is the former Hurunui farm shutter and looks like some Arab name, which I don't know if I can pronounce. It looks like Ifraj, or it could be, uh, maybe. Uh, the champion two-year-old Philly, um, well, no, two-year-old in France in 2010. I don't know. Did that make any sense? Not really. He started his stud career in France in 2012, but it's only begun shuttling to the Southern Hemisphere when Coolmore added him to their roster in 2021. Wooten Bassett's nine crops in the Northern Hemisphere have produced 265 winners from 464 runners. With 40 individual stakes, winners headed to the Almanzor and eight other Group 1 winners. Nine members of Wooten Bassett's first Southern Hemisphere crop are being offered on Book 1 of the New Zealand Bloodstock National Yealing Sales held this week. There we are. Across the first uh, two days... Of book one session on Sunday and Monday, five of the yearlings sold for a total of one point four million dollars in an average price of two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. I think I paid seven hundred dollars, <laughs> fifteen hundred dollars, or something like that for two two fillies that no one wanted. I got them from somewhere. I know they were brilliant, best, but now they're now they're in Thai, happy, riding over the top because they, they couldn't run. They were quite right, but they were beautiful, and I loved looking after them. I got them when they were eight months old. And had them right up until they were four year olds i think uh one got an injury, one was quite fast actually um miss uh miss Abernath, no what not what was her name uh Abercrombie she was good Abby, and then we had the other one was m j named her after her sister in law no her name was may Jim July. we called her <laughs> and um but they couldn't run, didn't want to run they just wanted to be one of them wanted to be a little pony club horse. Uh, but they're both pretty well trained, apparently, according to the people, the farmers now that are using them on with stock saddles, riding over the hills of Thai Happy. Uh, they they every day they go to work, and hopefully they're still being. They they couldn't get over it. They just had to get. I think they. What do they get them for? I think my my. I gave them to my friends' kids down in Levin. They paid for the transport because I didn't have a place at the time. We we're in between farms. I didn't have a place to put them. And so they had them, and they they had, wonderful. They, they love them. And then these people from Happy came down to Levin, where they are up in the hills there, and Copetara, and uh, they took they had one look at them, and they got on them, and you know, it's so light in the head, the neck, you know, just touch the rein, the head would turn round to you know touch your knee, touch your leg. Just beautifully, beautiful horses. They are lovely, absolutely gorgeous. I love I love horses, and I can't wait to get a couple more. Might have to anyway if they stop. <laughs> if Marsden Point, now that's, that's shut. We might have problems with fuel. Might have to go back to horse and cart. I'm an engineer, so I might start making some fork carts for people. If you want to do that, I'm going to start doing that. I build tiny house trailers at the moment, but I'm going to start doing that, building some horse and carts and getting into the old, not harness racing, because I have done harness racing. I trained horses for a bit. Didn't, I was a bit of an amateur at it, but, you know, had a go. Didn't, I had one, oh, and I drove as well. I was a novice driver. I didn't take it too far because I kind of sort of had problems with thinking, oh, you it know, I was just gambling, you know, you know, I'm Christian, you know, should we be gambling in the Lord's money? You know, because it all comes from him, doesn't it? So I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't, so I gave it up. Just didn't feel right, so got rid of it. Anyway, that's the blood stock. It's a wonderful industry, really. Winston Peters is head. He's the minister for racing. Uh, there we are. And we also had that CCTV that shows a mystery man who delivered a $5,000 of cash in an envelope to a pensioner. Then he ran away. Didn't really run away. just walked off. He asked for the person by name, according to David Fisher, the Herald reporter. Uh, astonishment and concern would be the order of the day for an Auckland pensioner. Handed a envelope filled with cash uh, $5,000. The delivery man then turned and ran, apparently. Well, he went, walked off after then went into a jog. He, just, he, he did his job, apparently, and I don't think he's a crook or anything like that. I think that um, he's delivering some money to somebody that probably needed it. But the man, I guess he did the right thing. Uh, the delivery man who dropped off the mystery envelope, $5,000 in cash. What does it say? That it was captured by a nearby security camera as the man walked towards the home of the older gentleman. The man looks like a tradie uh, taking a stroll with his on his mission that day around 2 o'clock on December the 20th. He was to deliver this $150 notes in an envelope to a man he'd never met. The money was contained in this envelope, taken from the right-hand pocket of the knee-length shorts worn by this younger man. CCTV imagery carries evidence of the envelope. The pocket is clearly bulging, and the weight of the wad of cash appears to have dragged his shorts lower on one side, revealing his builder's crack. (laughs) No, did 't say that. I just added that uh, the pensioner 78 he was um, pottering in his garden on that day and uh, when the man approached and asked for him by name he asked this is this is uh, he, he he has asked the herald, this is the pensioner not to be named uh, so that he doesn't want to give details about where he lives that sort of thing the older gentleman acknowledged his name and the younger man pulled an envelope from his pocket and thrust it into the man's hand saying this is for you and then the older gentleman, Asked what, what it was, and the younger man said, uh, hang on. The older gentleman asked what it was. The younger man, who was already walking away, said, I'm just delivering it. So obviously it's not from him. He's been given it to give to this man who might well be in need. The delivery man was described in his 20s, a, sort of a fit-looking gym type, and the image supports that he was a gym-fit description. That's of him. Although the clothing isn't typical gym wear, no, it's more like tradie wear. If I look at it, it's got the little strips of um, you know the reflective stuff on his t-shirt, and it's one. Of, and the t-shirt is sort of like a tank top, you know. those ones with the arms out. He looks fit and healthy. He looks like a nice f- fellow, and you can see the bulge there in his right pocket. I can see it there from the from the camera so they want to know where he got it from they don't like you having cash <laughs> I mean it's legal tender he's, got, he's well within his rights so as long as he didn't steal it he's well within his rights to give money to whoever he wants you know they're going to make a big song and dance over it just a bit like that other one where they've got that guy, guy's gone off and he's got his kids keeping them in the bush away from his crazy wife who's a druggie and the police are out there making him pretending that he's gone and robbed a bank and all this rubbish or putting all this nonsense on him but all it is is he's made them look like fools because they've, he's been able to evade them. Anyway, the man was wearing the black singlet, yeah, and uh, then he handed the envelope to the older gentleman, suspected it contained cash. He did. He suspected that it did because of the weight and the heft, you know, the bulk of it. And uh, he quickly tore open the top of the envelope, and it confirmed his suspicions and set out after the man in search for answers. Yeah, you know, what's this about? And uh, in a short pursuit with the younger man, quickly turning A fast walk into a quick run disappeared out of sight. So obviously it was an anonymous donation to this older gentleman. He called the police anyway, immediately, and he surrendered the money to the officers who visited his home. A month on, there's no answers from police. No one. Complete mystery, it is. We still don't know. David Fisher, he's based in Northland, and he's worked as a journalist for more than 30 years, winning multiple journalism awards, including being twice named a Reporter of the Year and being selected as one of a small number of Wolfston Press Fellows to Wolfston College in Cambridge in the United States. Not Cambridge down in Hamilton. No, not there. He joined the Herald in 2004, so he's been there for 20 years. He had a terrible interview. It was a terrible interview with... um. Shane Chaffin, the board-certified pharmacist that was living here in New Zealand. I don't know if he still is. Uh, uh, I don't think he's a very nice journalist, actually, I've got to tell you. I don't think so. He's, no, not during the COVID pandemic. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't very good at all. I wasn't very happy about that. Anyway, OK, so that is the news there. And, um, yes, we've got um, a couple of listeners on Rumble. Oh, good to see you there. Hey, how are you doing there? Uh, we've got a chat, actually. Got a chat. So if you want to uh, hang on, find the chat. Oh, how do I get to that? Ah, oh, I can't have lost the chat. Anyway, well, there is a chat. Or you can make a comment down in the comments. I'll definitely see that. I sometimes miss the chats. Anyway, we've got someone from Russia. How do you do? You've just the one listener from Russia. Yeah, I, I can't speak Russian, but a uh, very good morning or evening. It'll be evening over there, I suppose, for you. Thanks for listening. You've been listening all night. You must like the new music. We've got a new playlist as well. We've turfed the country music out. We might bring a little bit of it in. Just a wee bit But it, oh, people have been telling me that They're sick to death of it They like the station They like the world at five But they've had enough of the country It's okay for a bit But we just can't handle too much of it So we're going for sort of More unwinding kind of music I might play one Have I got time to play a song Before the news uh, At eight o'clock With TNT Radio I think I have I got time I got time What about R.E.M. We've got them I had Megan and Kelly lined up We'll give her a miss This is R.E.M. Starts off a bit slow.
18: Some
0: 8.1 FM, the wireless, the world at five. Six
9: minutes to eight, and we're over at News Hub now. Newshub.co.nz, you'll find them in the big story there. Taranaki, expect delays. Part of a major highway is closed after a crash with people trapped inside the vehicle and the car on fire. Whew, might look at that after eight. We'll come back to that. In the Middle East, disguised Israeli forces kill three Muslim terrorists on a raid in a hospital. In Southland, a police named the 10-year-old who died after being swept into the Fiordland Creek. In crime, ref- recidivist behaviour. Parnell businesses blame crime wave on Kayanga or tenants. That's Housing New Zealand tenants. Why are they putting them in Parnell, one of the most expensive places in Auckland? But don't put them somewhere else, put them down Ota or somewhere. Pin your land out there, go out west or something. Put them out there with the Westies. Uh, New Zealand health and uh, no miracle cure apparently. Optometrist issues warning as eye condition on the rise among children. Myop myopia myop- myop- is it? Oh, know, click on it, find out. Myopia. There we are. That's the one. Just eat more meat. You'll be right. Godfrey's in business. Godfrey's are going to close most stores across New Zealand. Australia. Channel 9 apologises to Australian Member of Parliament after airing altered images of her. In the United States. Ooh, this is interesting. This one here. Donald Trump's former national security adviser, John Bolton. Well, he was a halfwit. He says that Trump's unfit to govern. That's what he says. He's the former National Security Advisor John Bolton excoriated former President Donald Trump as an utterly self-interested man who would punish personal enemies and appease adversaries Russia and China in the new edition of his memoir released on Tuesday Bolton who served in Trump's White House in 2018 and 2019 year but Trump didn't you were you were a flippin' infiltrator you, were, you shouldn't have been there He accuses the Republican presidential frontrunner of having no political philosophy or coherent policy outlook. So he says, uh, if re-elected, Trump could leave NATO Security Alliance, and they should, according to former White House uh, advisor, Colonel Douglas McGregor, shouldn't have anything to do with it, nor should we. He would curb support to Ukraine despite Russia's 2022 invasion. No, 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 no. Uh, Putin had been warning NATO and and London and Washington for a decade or more. If you you cannot move into Ukraine, that's got to be a little no zone, little, sort of a, a no go area there. I need something. You can't be surrounding me, because that's what they want to do. These these blooming neocons from from the UK, from London and Washington, they want to destroy Putin. Why? Because he doesn't want to be part of the one world. Government, their one world, their new new world order, and the new, the WIF, you know, the World Economic Forum. It basically, that's just the new world order. It's the same old pig with new lipstick, according to uh, um, you know you know the one yeah. Bolton. He served the you know, got that. now Trump is unfit to be president, according to Bolton. He wrote in in the new foreword. Uh, it's called the room where it happens his account of 17 months that he spent in Trump's national security as the advisor. Uh, If his first four years were bad, a second four would be worse, apparently, while Trump casts himself as an underdog underdog champion, once saying that for those who had been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution, Bolton argues. He is fundamentally self-regarding. I don't think so. He didn't take any pay. And uh, he no, he never didn't get any money. Left the company in the hands of his kids while he was president. No, I think he's um, he's uh, he's he's like he's like uh, Washington, George Washington. Now, I was speaking to a French girl just the other day, and uh, one of my one of my heroes, I think, would be this Frenchman by the name of um, uh, oh gosh, the name just went out of my head. Um, Oh gosh, where does it go? It's like a leaf. Memories are like leaves on the ground. The wind blows them away, and I can't remember what was that one about? Lafayette. That's his name. He was a young fellow. He, had, he was came from a wealthy aristocratic family. He came over to um, came into South Carolina on his own ship, you know, it was like a warship, cannons and all the rest. Avoided the um, the British, got there, and he helped helped fight. And uh, Washington saw him. Go into battle, he didn't want, didn't want him to go, and he thought he was too young. He went into battle. These people, these soldiers were being whipped by the, by the British forces, by the Redcoats, and uh, he went in there and rallied them and got wounded. but he was such a brave man, very brave Lafayette. And you know the flame where he's buried in France has never gone out right through World War I, World War II, and we're talking you know 18th, the end of the 18th century. this is Lafayette. And they've named universities after him. They've named places after him. He's one of my heroes. He was a Masonic lodge guy. Uh, But I think perhaps Masonry was a wee bit different then. I don't know. But I actually think the Catholic Church are more dangerous than any Masons. That's my personal opinion on that one. Uh, Just a minute and a half away, one minute and a half away from news at 8 o'clock. We'll have news from TNT Radio. And then I'll be back with the weather forecast for the whole country, letting you know what's going on weather-wise. Oh, we haven't heard... Uh, about uh, weather from... I'll just give you a quick update from Philip Duncan. Before we go across, there's a low pressure. It remains east of the North Island today, and you've got some uh, driving in more cloud, showers and patchy rain for most parts of Hawke's Bay, Mahia Peninsula, and also for the Gisborne area. Elsewhere, it's going to be mainly dry and settled with hot weather around the island and uh, the western sides of the North Island. Even parts of Auckland City will be close to 30 degrees today, uh, being so coastal that doesn't happen too often. All right, we'll go across to TNT Radio News, and I'll be back with a full weather update after the news at 8.
6: Be a part of the conversation and follow TNT Radio on GAP getter and twitter now tnt radio news
7: for tnt this is james O'Neill. president joe biden is contemplating various response measures to a drone strike attributed to an iran-backed terrorist group that resulted in the deaths of three u.s army reservists and injured 40 others in jordan on january 28th white house national security council spokesperson john kirby confirmed that president biden has convened with his national security advisors twice since the incident However, Kirby did not verify if a specific retaliatory action has been decided upon. Kirby emphasized the necessity of a response to the attack, stating it requires a response, make no mistake about that. He added that the president is considering a range of options and will determine the most appropriate response. Kirby stressed the need to halt such attacks. While the Biden administration consistently holds Iran accountable for the attack, Kirby noted that the investigation to identify the specific group responsible is still ongoing. He also mentioned that the administration is not seeking a full-scale war with Iran. Uh, we have
18: uh, held Iran accountable, as I've said, through various means and, and methods. We will continue to do that. We'll continue to act to defend our, uh, our troops and our facilities and the missions and our national security interests.
7: Elon Musk, the head of biotech firm Neuralink, announced that the company has successfully carried out its first human brain chip implantation. He shared that the patient is faring well post-surgery. Neuralink's goal is to establish a direct interface enabling individuals to control devices solely through brain activity. Musk shared his breakthrough on his social media platform X on Monday. In his post, he mentioned that the first human received an implant from Neuralink yesterday and is recovering well. He also highlighted that initial observations have shown encouraging signs of neuron spike detection. Neurons are brain cells responsible for transmitting chemical and electrical signals throughout the body. Neuralink has been working towards developing a fully implantable, wireless brain-computer interface, as outlined in their previous press release about the PRIME trial, or Precise Robotically Implanted Brain-Computer Interface. The technology aims to offer revolutionary treatments for individuals with various disabilities, including those who are paralyzed. French President Emmanuel Macron is committed to addressing the concerns raised by French farmers with European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. In recent weeks, French farmers have been protesting against regulations and laws that negatively impact their work demanding government intervention. The protests have involved significant disruptions, including blocking major highways to Paris, dumping manure outside government buildings, and various other forms of demonstration to urge action from their leaders. Following unsuccessful efforts by Prime Minister Gabriel Attal to calm the protesters, President Macron has intervened. According to a statement from his office, he plans to meet with Ms. von der Leyen in Brussels on February 1st to discuss the crisis in agriculture. The discontent among French farmers and others in the European Union largely revolves around the EU's 2023 Nature Restoration Law. This law mandates member states to implement environmental measures on approximately 20% of their land by 2030, which includes leaving about 4% of farmland follow. This measure, which involves leaving certain lands uncultivated for one or more growing seasons, significantly affects farmers' production capabilities. UK Foreign Secretary David Cameron is contemplating official recognition of a Palestinian state by the British government. This consideration comes amid Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's stance that Israel must control the security from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean, effectively discounting the feasibility of an independent Palestinian state in Gaza and the West Bank. The United States and the United Kingdom have been urging Israel to adhere to a two-state solution, aligning with the Oslo Accords established in 1993.
8: We've also got to see a political perspective so that Palestinian people can see that there is a route to having a Palestinian
7: state, to having a new future. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT.
9: Thank you, James. And uh, yeah, that's my lot for today. I'll be back in a moment with weather and we'll finish off uh, from Philip Duncan as well with his uh, report you'll find it at uh, WeatherWatch. Yes, weatherwatch.co.nz.
6: Radio works because of its ability to personalise to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to
9: tntradio.live.
0: 88.1 FM, the wireless weather.
9: Okay, let's look at the extremes at five minutes past eight. Very good morning to you. The low pressure remains east of the North Island today, driving a more, more cloud across with showers and patchy rain for parts of Hawke's Bay, Mahia Peninsula and also Gisborne area. Elsewhere is going to be mostly dry, mostly dry with settled and very hot weather. You've got a hot weather around the inland areas and western sides of the North Island. Even parts of Auckland will be close to thirty degrees today. So being being so coastal, that is often is. And uh, what else have we got happening? As well, we go to Thursday. We've got a sail west of there as we go into Thursday. Winds developing from many, for many rather across New Zealand. It is ahead of a much windier Friday and Saturday nationwide, where the gales are likely to be in exposed places. Looking at the Met Service now, the extremes and uh, Taronga is 21.2 degrees right at the moment. tianel 9 degrees. Nugget Point's now overtaken. The other one was at Castle Point. Nugget point 48 kilometres of wind per hour there. 0.4 millimetres of rain falling in Napier Airport at the moment. Temperatures right across the city. Stewart Island's on 13 degrees. Invercargill, 11 now. Dunedin's 15. Timaru, 14. 16 in Christchurch. Blenheim has 13 degrees out of the Chatham Islands there and its islands. 13, uh, 17 degrees. Uh, Queenstown's still sort of hovering around 11, 12 degrees there. French Joseph, 13. Westport's been 17 all morning. Must be something wrong with the thermometer. Um, Nelson's on 15. Wellington and Masterton, they're both uh, stuck on 15 degrees. Palmerston North warmed up a bit there, 18 degrees. And New Plymouth's on 19, next to Mount Egmont. Taupo and Rotorua on 20 and 19, respectively. Gisborne, 19 degrees. Hamilton, 18. That's warmed up a bit. It was about 15, I think, the last hour. Tauranga, of course, the 21.2 degrees. And Auckland, 21 degrees. That's warmed up there. Whangarei and uh, Kaitaya 19 for Whangarei, And Kaitaya has 20 degrees. The short forecast for Northland Taranaki, including the Coromandel Peninsula, the Bay of Plenty and Taupo, mainly fine, isolated showers this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, often cloudy with showers clearing this evening. Wanganui and Taihape to Wellington, also Wairarapa. Isolated showers about Wellington and Wairarapa clearing this afternoon. Otherwise, uh, Elsewhere, areas of cloud this morning, otherwise fine. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, mainly fine. Cloud increasing in the west this evening, bringing a chance of a shower or two there. For Fiordland, cloud increasing with uh, rain developing this evening. Canterbury and Otago, predominantly fine. Areas of cloud this morning and isolated showers this afternoon and evening. Uh, mainly inland for the south island southland area southland mainly fine rain developing tonight for you and the chatham islands periods of rain or drizzle the extended forecast outlook for thursday for the north island fine for most a few afternoon showers in the east late showers in Taranaki and cavity and the south island on thursday scattered showers spreading north through the day late rain in Fiordland. On Friday, rain spreading up the South Island to the lower North Island, showers farther north about the North Island, but remaining near, fine really, mainly fine towards Gisborne and Hawke's Bay. Gale north, westerly winds though through Cook Strait. On Saturday, showers for most, frequent and heavy for western regions from Taranaki southwards, easing later in the day. Gale westerly is possible about western regions in the North Island from Auckland southwards. The extended forecast for the Chatham Islands, showers and light northeasterlies on Thursday, and then rain with southwesterly change. Rain develops again on, during Friday, with winds turning northwesterly and becoming strong, possibly gale force, all continuing through Saturday. That is news and weather, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning. It's nine minutes past eight, and I'll look forward to seeing you at five o'clock. Be there or be square tomorrow morning, 5 o'clock. Uh, Lord willing, got us put that in on Thursday morning.
2: Personally, I know many priests who have been cancelled, but not for the reasons you'd think. I mean, it's not like they did a hit and run drive and left the scene of the crime or embezzled church funds, stole the altar wine or committed some other heinous crime. No, not at all. And who's persecuting them? Well, their own bishops. How's that? Yep. Who are they? Well, they're a pack of men who generally passively sit by and tolerate any kind of nonsense, but If one of their priests utters something that resembles orthodoxy, well then they they spring into action, they reprimand him, and they bully him and do their best to cancel him. And it's a symptom of a very deep sickness that afflicts the church. If anyone's familiar with the missives of Archbishop Vigano, he says that the erosion of the church was sown at with the reforms of Vatican II, and I agree with him. And how are we supposed to know the good guys from the bad guys? Well, we were given a standard by which to judge them. By their fruits, you'll know them. Anybody seen any good fruit lately?
9: That's Mal Gibson.
3: You know, frat houses and frats will be friends for life like those guys will literally be brothers like i remember in college my friend um sam was in a frat and i went to his frat and they would have these brothers back and they would just be like best friends and they would all i mean maybe they'd do some i guess arguably immature stuff but i just argue it's like masculine stuff like playing games and like I mean, maybe they'd probably get too drunk or whatever but like you know these guys would just you know hang out and be friends and if they had a disagreement they'd fight but then they'd get over it it's like Guys will, like, fight each other and then get over it. You know, they might, like, punch each other, then they'll be like, okay, you took the punch, now you're part of the group again. Women, it's like 10 years later, we will still be mad about that one thing that happened.
0: You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Now, 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 here comes another hour of today's best country and more. This is 88.1 FM, The Wireless. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, the world at five.